What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 41st draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good, dude. How about you? Uh, my allergies are acting up uh, this time of year a little bit. I've got the sniffles, so I apologize in advance if I start sniffing during the uh, the podcast. I'm Eric not, is uh, not doing coke. No. Uh, no illegal substances here. Not today, here. at least. Not today. Yeah. Um, well, that sucks, man. Yeah. I, you have bad allergies. Um, oh, yeah. All year round. But, I mean, it's it's weird because usually I, I get a, a bit of a bout of um, sinus issues at the beginning of July. But it, it, it every year it seems to be later and later into the summer where I get like one or two days where it's just I can't warming, even breathe man. through my nose. Yeah, I, I'm like that too. I went in and finally well, – this is great content. <laughs> I went in and finally got like tested for what I'm allergic to because uh, I feel like my nose is constantly stuffed. I don't really get the sniffles or like eye watering or something. Like I'll get headaches I feel like right. and then I'll get – my nose is just constantly – I thought I had a deviated septum at one point just because my nose was constantly like kind of plugged, but I've kind of just gotten used to it. And uh, it's like not extreme enough to be like on medication or anything, but welcome to the sinus cast, everyone. Right. Uh, hey, these <laughs> things happen to a lot of people. Know, Allergies yeah. seem to That's why, be getting you know, worse. I mean, we, uh, last time after we recorded, we had uh, – Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Captain – not Captain no, Crunch. Cinnamon uh, Toast cinnamon Crunch Toast milkshakes. Crunch milkshakes. And shout out to Jam Cereal. I, I will give them a shout out because they were oh, incredible. In the moment, it was fantastic. <laughs> Euphoric even. Uh, it destroyed us. Yeah. Afterwards, I my stomach was just completely out of it for it a day even, and a half. It wasn't even my stomach. And oh, it I, got me hard. Like I'm lactose intolerant um, a little bit. Like not extremely um but the older but. you get i think the the less milk you're supposed like to 80, consume 80 right? years old i don't think we're humans aren't really unless you're a baby supposed right to really but have in, in terms of your tolerance yeah 100 percent. Right? and uh i just felt like really tired and just like heavy and um it was probably the most sugar I've had in, in something yeah. in a long time. But, well, uh, I, I took a GO train they were back home, and I didn't want to use the uh, washroom on the train. <laughs> so I sat in a uh, very like awkward statuesque position, position yeah. um, you know, weighing my time until uh, I got to Whippy. And then as soon as I got home, oh boy, <laughs> just I, uh, the I worst. Just, I just felt like garbage. And... Um, so I mean, yeah, we, we kind of felt out of it after, like as soon oh, as right like, it was almost like that sugar rush, and then like as soon as it ended, we just kind of dropped yeah. completely. So people don't know, there's this uh, there was this pop up across the street from my condo building um, from uh, this place called Jam Cereal, and they have locations in Ottawa. So shout out to them if you're in the Ottawa area. I mean, we're selling it in like a weird way where it made us feel like trash, but it was in the moment spectacular <laughs> right like it's something um, that that would be like it's it's a treat that you have maybe once or twice a year that's a good summertime where you know it'll destroy snack you, but, but yeah don't have any plans for the rest of your unless day. you could unless you like i have an iron stomach yeah too like i eat a lot of trash like i've trained i've trained myself to like i've had years of mcdonald's Co coca-cola mcdonald's taco bell arby's like all this stuff that like you'd think if you're a regular person would destroy you. But like I've had years of experience eating garbage growing up. Um, but this uh, was a special case where I haven't felt this 
shitty in a while after it. Yeah. But Cinnamon Toast Crunch milkshakes. They had milkshakes based on like all different types of cereal, Fruity Pebbles, Chocolate Pebbles, Reese Puffs, Oreo, uh, your classic kind of uh, lineup of stuff. Um, Sugary I be, cereal. I would be open, um, I think, at their actual auto, Ottawa location. They have um, dairy-free versions. So they've uh, basically what they do is make cereal milk. So they'll put a whole bunch of cereal, make a milk out of it, uh, uh, strain it, and then keep that milk, which is the base that they use with ice cream to make the milkshake, and then they top it with cereal on top. Yeah, it's con- um, it consistently tastes like the cereal that it's, it's form, yeah, yeah, and 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 it's good. But then as soon as you know, like maybe four or five minutes after consuming <laughs> it. It really you you hit that wall yeah. and like again like if this was a place that was open and available during TIFF and people went like said like say they had like a break and they wanted to treat themselves and they had like two or three other movies afterwards <laughs> or had to do interviews, yeah. good luck because yeah. it's as bad as you know but having McDonald's have, for lunch and then going back to work. I but think they have an 10. almond milk version which I would love to try. Um, I don't I don't think that it's still gonna like it's just the, the sugar. But it's I've the, had like depending like I eat I eat like two bowls of cinnamon toast crunch the other night or like three bowls right like i I still feel crappy like not that (laughs) crappy but like i think it was more so the dairy because you're putting in like a a good amount of we haven't even talked about movies yet it's so stupid um like a good base of milk and then like two fucking massive heaps of vanilla ice cream and i just don't think that like my body was ready for that. Um, right. You needed to take like lactate pills beforehand or something. Or like you have no dairy for a whole week yeah, building up to it. We're over 30 now. So this shit we got to think about. But uh, it was fantastic. But yeah, if, if this if this place were around. Were, this, oh. would, oh. Oh, that was totally my bad. I uh, got too excited about cereals, and I ripped the cord out of Eric's microphone. <laughs> yes, it was like eating it, and then afterwards having to take a stop, massive stop, bowel stop. movement. Stop. Uh, I forget what we were talking about. Anyways, uh, if you guys didn't know, uh, <laughs> god damn it, uh, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. I'm sure you did know that if you're listening, um, but we do this each and every week. Eric and I get together, uh, shoot the shit about what's going on. Uh, what cereals we've been eating, what milkshakes we've been drinking, uh, what fast food we've been eating, and then sometimes we even talk about uh, movies. Uh, we talk about trailers, we talk about the news, we talk about what you guys can watch at home and what we've been watching over the last week or so. You can get it each and every week, usually Monday morning, sometimes Friday, sometimes we do two episodes. You know what? You'll get one or two episodes every week, usually one. Um, yeah, if, be grateful. <laughs> if you like, <laughs> if you like this, we do another podcast that's a little bit more professional called the Untitled Movie Reviews, where Eric and I get together and review a new release film uh, or upcoming release uh, film. Uh, right now, uh, you guys can check out our reviews for Loose. Uh, which will be opening on August 9th in Toronto. Yes, and and it's already opened in limited release uh, in the U.S. And then you can also catch our review for uh, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, which is now playing in theaters everywhere. So go check out those two reviews. And then over the August, um, it'll be interesting. Um, we're leading into TIFF, so... 
Uh, Eric and I are being a little bit more selective over some of the things we'll be reviewing. So um, we don't have a complete lineup of exactly what we'll be reviewing over the last three weeks of August, but uh, just stay tuned and each week we'll kind of let you know what we're reviewing. Yeah, there are certain films that we'll definitely try to 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 get to, like Ready or Not and, and things like that, but... Um, Certain things we might just talk about on the main show if yeah. we, instead of a full review if we don't go to a press screening or something like because that. Because it's going to get busy and we'll be doing a we lot of We might not see coverage. the same films either. Yeah. Like this week you're seeing The Kitchen. I'm going to see Scary Stories uh, to tell in the dark. Is that what it's yeah. called? Um, so depending on if we can switch it. Well, I'm seeing that on the on the, on the the morning, the Wednesday morning. Oh, you are? Sorry, yeah. yes. I forgot that they, they switched that and you are going yeah. to see it. So we can review that one, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, check that out. It's called Untitled Movie Reviews. They're about 20, 25 minutes. Unless we review a Tarantino movie, then it's an hour and 10 minutes. Which you can listen to Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood right now, and I think it's actually a really good review. It's a great episode, yeah. Eric and I go on for an hour and 10 minutes. We do a spoiler-free review at the beginning. We talk about kind of our uh, Tarantino ranking, and then we go back and do a spoiler discussion, and I thought it was a, a really great chat and i think we might even be going to see it again this afternoon because we've been itching to see that 70 mil version so uh, oh yeah if we can time that then we'll talk about that next week uh all right let's get into it eric uh what have you been watching anything over the last yeah week? so i rewatched uh furious seven and the fate of uh the furious did you do that before hobbs and shaw i uh, know after oh after. so uh after watching it i wanted to go back because i i do enjoy the movies to a certain extent but i yeah. also forget about them right away and right. guess what I only watched them Thursday to Friday. And you already forget. And I've already, they've already evaporated from my mind. Um, I think, though, that I did a reverse where I liked Furious 7 more than The yep, Fate of the that Furious. That happened to me as well when I rewatched um, them. And partly, again, like we've talked about this before, um, you know, the tragedy surrounding Paul Walker's death kind of loomed over uh, seven. enjoying 7 to a certain extent. And I think kind of being a little bit more removed, I was able to just kind of indulge in sort of the over-the-top spectacle that it was. And, and I think and the enjoy ending works as... better after it's not so kind of jarring. Right, and it feels like that could have been the end of the series. Like, it felt like an Agreed. organic out. Yep. Like, you're, you're done. You And then you could do the spin-off movies and even bring Dom and, you know, partner Dom with one other character. Like, it doesn't have to be about the original, you know, quote-unquote, the original crew, the original family, family anymore. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Uh, during my rewatch this year, I... I same switch i think you and i liked eight more than most people i think yeah but on rewatch it went down significantly yeah same (laughs) um Um, but i still like like the moments that i remembered were the prison breakout sequence with the rock and jason statham which is quite memorable but i still have this weird like issue with Shaw being brought into the fold and kind of becoming a part of the family. At yeah, the and end. they flesh that out even more in Hobbs and Shaw and try to make him like kind of redeemable or likable. And I still like, I'm like, you motherfucker, you still killed Han. I mean, I like um, Satham as Shaw and he's a fun kind of anti hero. But yeah, like they make him a little too kind of chummy at times or at least kind of like I'm on board with you know, beating Cypher and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, like I, I, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Charlie Theron and nine. And like, if they bring her into, <laughs> to the main group, right. which they could, it feels like it, they just, or adopt hopefully they the just villains. make her like, I mean, I don't want to give anything. I listened to our Hobbs and Shaw review, but um, yeah, I, I don't know if they'll even tie the spinoffs into the main series or have some more crossover and things like that. But 
yeah, I uh, I agree with you that seven went up a little bit when I watched it, and eight went down. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Um, then I also rewatched because you talked about it uh, on the last show was uh, Clerks. Oh, uh, Kevin cool. Smith's Clerks. Suit. Yeah. Um, dated. I, dated. <laughs> I I like moments of it. We talked a lot about it already on the last episode, and it kind of feels like again it was of its time. Um, there's a lot of problems when it comes to the dialogue being just too much. Like he just writes copious amounts of, of monologues for these for actors, actors, actors that yeah. are basically just trying to like meet their cues and spew it out. And they're not actually having a conversation with one another. I agree with um, that, but I think of its time. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate for what Kevin Smith is trying to do, but like you can also see his weaknesses as a filmmaker as specifically as a director. He's not the greatest and he really never, he hasn't really evolved as a filmmaker. I don't really feel no. like he just kind of has done the same thing over and over again you can argue that most filmmakers kind of have their milieu and they stick to it but smith just hasn't grown up like he's making films that feel like they're always for you know a certain age range between 20 to 26 yeah right or like, even younger probably. yeah like, and i just feel like his 16 work is to 25 kind of yeah. immature not in a not in a like a gratuitous way but just in a kind of like oh yeah you're 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 talking to a specific aged demographic and not really you know a 30 year old or you know 40 year old yeah you know yeah i agree yeah i i I still enjoyed it and i think viewing it as like when it came out i thought it was very significant and i still think it and dante is the worst (laughs) you really hate brian o'halloran i do not like him um yeah he is the worst i like randall a lot i do too Um, we talked about this last week but yeah um yeah, I'm going to make my way through the uh, View Askew universe. I don't know if I talked about it last week or if I was only halfway well, through. Well, because you just I, watched Mallrats, I right? I did, yes. So that was on my now watching was I finished Mallrats. I think we might have touched on it last week because I was like halfway through it. Yeah. Maybe, I forget. But um, like I thought that was a little bit of a step down for from clerks um i still enjoyed it um and it was heavily re-edited like we talked about this when you when you saw it there's a whole sequence of michael rooker's character sort of protecting the president very weird it's a little it's zanier obviously obviously but um and i don't think a lot of that works um but then his movies get more and more like that um yeah i guess that's the only thing that's evolved is that they get even dumber (laughs) yeah um or less uh, uh, rooted in reality. But um, yeah, I, I, I still enjoyed it. Again, these movies I think are very much of their time, but ironically he hasn't changed. So even watching his more recent stuff feels like something that would have come out in like the early nineties. Yeah. Um, and I'm very curious about reboot of like well, mongrel media picked it up for yeah. Canadian distribution. So that'll be getting released in October here. Um, I thought it, my, people were joking being like, Oh my God, this is going to play TIFF, isn't it? And I don't think it will, but you never um, know. But there, I, speaking of that quickly, there's a movie that um, I had, I knew barely anything about and I want to read this to you. The synopsis. This is just something like yeah, a tangent. On no, no, no. This is good. <laughs> unrelated. Because Mongrel Media sent out. Um, they they they'll send like out like updated a, a, an update yeah. release uh, slate, and Jane Silent Bob was one of them. But another movie that I completely it wasn't on my radar. I didn't read much into it. Was a film called Mister America. Okay. Uh, so it's called Mister America, and here's the uh, IMDb plot synopsis. 
Mr. America follows Tim Heidecker's attempt to enter into the world of politics after beating a murder charge for selling faulty e-cigarettes at an EDM festival. Tim seeks revenge by running a campaign to unseat the San Bernardino uh, district attorney fueled by ego and ignorance. He tries to surmount a lack of experience, funds, and likability by personally connecting with unsuspecting constituents, it does not go well. Who directed it? Did he uh, direct it? Or? It is directed by Eric Nodericola. Interesting. I wonder if it's like a Tim and Eric director or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, after reading, I was like, this is shot up to my most yeah. anticipated <laughs> film of the, 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 the second half of the year. That's awesome. Yeah. I, a hundred percent. Um, excited for that. Yep. Um, but yeah, I watch Mallrats. I haven't gotten to Chasing Amy yet. I just uh, work my courage up, I guess, right. to revisit that. I think that one will be the most dated, uh, but we'll see. And possibly um, problematic. But I agree with you where I miss Jason Lee. Like That was the one thing watching um, uh, Mallrats where I'm like, man, I, I love Jason Lee. Like, yeah, I like him more than the actual lead in uh, Jeremy London, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, than Jeremy London in Mallrats. Yeah, he's uh, – and then I think that's why Brody is – wait, is he playing Brody in this? Or he has two different Brody characters. Man? Yeah, Brody's secret stash, right? Yeah, yeah and then he also plays – in Chasing Amy, a different character who's a comic yeah. book illustrator, right? Or yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. Ben Affleck's best buddy. Yeah, um, I forget all the view askew characters, but uh, I'm going to make my way through those. Um, what else have you been watching? I uh, watched a film that's playing at the uh, TIFF Lightbox right now called Honeyland, and it's about a Turkish beekeeper. Hell no, man. <laughs> I think you would like it, actually, oh, yeah. quite a bit. Best part about the film? One hour. 27 minutes yeah nice so it's about a turkish beekeeper living in macedonia she lives in a a, a small uh deserted village and she's taking care of her ailing mother and next door or or across from her um this large van and cattle come in and it's a farmer and his family and they all set up shop and they're they're specifically focused on uh wildlife like cattle and chicken and stuff like that um they befriend her for a while and then steal her techniques of making honey but do it in a kind of mass production and so you see how like that throws off the ecosystem completely and it kills all of her bees and sort of creates a um uh sort of a rift between uh this older this older woman and this family and yeah like it sounds kind of uh, uninspired or at least kind of like a nature documentary but it's not like it's an observational cinematic piece of filmmaking that i was really taken back by like it looks like a um a a narrative film um there are no um titles or talking heads you're just in the moment and stuff that happens in there feels like like they were so the filmmakers were so lucky to capture it like there's stuff where like so this farmer has children and they age in the range from um young adult you know like uh 20 to a baby an infant and he has like seven children yeah and they're like all over the place and he's kind of like teaching them to like take care of the livestock so he has one kid who's like maybe four or five you know wandering around with these cows and like trying to herd a cow the cow just kicks this kid in the back and you're like holy shit 
like this like and and hussein who's the farmer is is a terrible father um and kind of a bit of a bastard as well to this woman who kind of is very kind and befriends them and, and sort of tries to take her uh way of life from her um hadiz is her name and i was really pleasantly surprised with the movie it's playing in limited release now and uh if you have the chance to check it out it's 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 worth it i think okay. uh, it's not bad and again like if it's a movie that you know eventually comes onto streaming services i would i would recommend checking it out um it started it was going to be a short but they kind of found the the filmmakers who names i'm going to butcher here but uh lubomir uh telestaroff and uh tamara uh, uh, of us. I'm, I'm again. This is bad pronunciation. It wouldn't be the Untitled Movie Podcast if we didn't butcher some names. But um, they they were going to start as start the documentary as a short film, and it sort of turned into something more. But it's it's really well done, and I think people should give it a shot. Cool man. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, let me look at the list, or maybe you can pull that I'll up go. if you've got that up there. Uh, I got some stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, what did I watch? Uh, Nevis and I went on, like, a ran- I went on like a very random uh, kind of watch this week. So, Nevis and I watched uh, Jumanji, Everybody Wants Some, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And this is your first time watching uh, Willy Wonka, yeah, right? Yeah, dude. So You've like, never I, seen it before. It was just never something... I, like, I, I think I've seen bits and pieces of it, or maybe I had seen it when I was like... I feel like I would have. It, it's memorable enough where I would have remembered. Well, it, it has permeated kid, but... the pop culture, so you've probably seen references to it in other well, yes, films and course. television. I mean, recently, and... Thor Ragnarok, obviously. Yeah. And like, um, but in a hundred million different places but uh this was the first time because nevis was flabbergasted that i had not seen it um it is weird um yeah it is i have a very weird list of movies that i've just never seen and just you know when you've gone too far and you're like i don't know if i'll ever get to this unless someone like sits me down and goes this is a great film and you need to watch this right now right um so nevis was like we have to watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I'm like, all right, I've never seen it. And uh, it was on Amazon Prime, if anyone wants to watch it. And uh, if you don't own it, um, the transfer was great in, in 1080. Um, I got stoned and watched it, which you I were thought under was the a, influence. I, I thought was an excellent way uh, to watch that for the first time. I mean, even if you're it, sober, it's still a pretty trippy But experience. imagine being like... I was losing my goddamn mind watching this movie. Right. Like, I you literally had the golden ticket. I I was like, I cannot believe this is what this movie is because like I I knew of Willy Wonka and I knew of uh, kind of what happened with the Oompa Loompas and the kids going in and I kind of vaguely remembered like him kind of murdering these children, uh, but did not know the extent of it and. Um, I just I couldn't believe how dark it was, how adult it was. Well, that's um, Roald Dahl, right? I mean, like yeah. a lot of his material, even though it is for kids, it it has almost a Grimm's fairy tale kind of edge yeah. to it. And uh, I loved it, dude. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, again, under the influence, I, I'm sure my senses were heightened uh, to. But I, my mouth. You was weren't just, licking the wall, though. Uh, right? No, okay. no, the schnozberries didn't uh, taste like schnozberries. No. Um, but. Which now I understand that Super Troopers reference. Right. <laughs> um, 
I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I thought um, uh, it's inventive and, and obviously, I mean, it's one of the most famous movies of all time, but um, Gene, it's very much Gene Wilder is amazing. as well. Like, it is. It, it's, but, it's very psychedelic and it's kind of presentation. Right. Early 70s, right? You're coming out of that. Yeah. Like, and, and like, yeah, Gene Wilder is amazing, is amazing. and, and it kind of is. I guess his most iconic role, even creepy, though, but like not in like, but kind of likable at the yes, same time. Yeah, like especially like when he first sort of emerges from the factory with and he the, does that kind of walk with the limp. Yeah, they, they hold on that shot for like, and what seems like an eternity. They have his whole slow walk with his cane and they follow him the entire way, and then he does the like. Flip but th- but that's also a thing. style of filmmaking yeah. back then because when you would have films in the six, like at least studio movies or, or smaller independent films in the 60s and 70s you would have characters walking from a to b and you wouldn't have any real cuts in there like yeah. it would actually show you full motion where now it's like, like they the trust point. the audience yeah. enough to say like okay the character you know goes from his house to his car and we in don't between them we don't need to show yeah. you the walk there yeah we're with this yeah it's, but i think it's this is intentional it. in the sense of like to show that he was like this frail old man who's been in this factory for years and no one's seen him but really he like does that role and then that flip kind of thing yeah like, it's right his, it's his hero like, moment right yeah. like it's the first time you're seeing this character who's and just been talked accent- about and, yeah at, and for... it shows his eccentricities i think right away and shows you what you're about to get into and yeah like, and yeah um, and again like wilder at that point had done the producers and had worked with uh, Mel Brooks and uh, was in Bonnie and Clyde had a bit role in that so you know this was kind of his his between this and Young Frankenstein those were his two out. big films and yeah. those are I think his best performances but I, yeah I really um, like him in that role quite a bit what wasn't he going to be cast in something recently? yeah Ready Player One right because remember that was sense. also playing yeah. in the Willy Wonka-esque kind of style of, it is it is basically yeah. Willy Wonka that's but he was, was too sick then and yeah, passed he passed away shortly after they almost convinced him to do it but he was very uh, he had been retired for a long time yeah. right then, yeah Mark Rylance took um, that role instead yeah. um, thought it's fantastic and if if it's legal in your country I highly suggest partaking in uh, a, a puff or two and then watching or maybe some edibles if yeah. you have chocolate chocolate uh, yeah that would be perfect so uh it was a fantastic experience and uh uh one of the favorite my favorite things i've watched this entire year i thought it was great um my god and then we bust into the yeah it's so good dude and what else have i been oh so i watched everybody wants them again which i think is just a fun that's a movie I could put on any time. Hangout movie. Hangout movie. And I think because we uh, were talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was thinking about Hangout movies. Then it led me to Linklater stuff. And then, yeah. Uh, well, the before films yeah. as well. And I mean, Linklater has Where'd You Go, Bernadette coming up soon, which I'm curious about, even though it's been delayed a couple times now. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, Everybody Wants Some is just a it's a it's a good old time with a bunch of, you know, frat guys that are trying to figure out their own, you know path in, in in sort of the early days of college so yeah it's yeah. fantastic I, it's i hadn't seen it probably since it came out maybe one other time after that but it's just uh cat a, in a fridge it's, so, <laughs> it's such a broy movie but it's great and glenn powell's um, amazing in it yeah glenn powell is excellent um what else did i say that we watched oh jumanji which is ne- one of nevis's favorites movies so uh that's another movie where like if it's on 
I could just watch the whole thing. Yeah, there's and, part of uh, a, a nostalgia to it, right? Yeah, and I think with my new soundbar with the Dolby Atmos stuff, I've just been testing out different movies with Atmos tracks. I mean, everybody wants them to not have one, and neither did Willy Wonka, obviously, but um, Jumanji got re-released in 4K with um, a Dolby Atmos track and Dolby Vision, so we watched that, and that was fun. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I've watched this week. Yeah. I have one other thing, but I'll talk about it after you. Yeah, I was just going to say I also uh, watched a couple Rucker Hauer movies because uh, he just recently passed away. Uh was one of my favorite actors as a kid uh, because of Blade Runner, uh, Nighthawks, and specifically The Hitcher. Um, he was one of those actors that could play both a villain and a hero, and he had this weird kind of presence about him that kind of veered on both likable and also kind of creepy at the same time agreed yeah i almost found like his hero roles were even more fascinating than his villain parts like kino smith or kino lorber is releasing um wanted dead or alive on blu-ray in a couple of months from now and that's one of his few um good guy roles that in uh blind fury which was based on the zatoichi uh japanese uh samurai series okay the blind samurai but the american version of it um uh, directed by Philip Noyce, and that movie in particular, like again, like he's a he's a good guy, but he kind of veers closer to anti-hero, and I always kind of liked that quality of of him. And and he had worked with Paul Verhoeven early on in his career with both Turkish Delight and Soldier of Orange, which was the film I rewatched. Uh, that and uh, Hobo with the Shotgun, Jason yeah. Eisner's movie. Um, and when I has Eisner done much? He's worked as like an AD or yeah, like he worked like. on um, uh, Death. Uh, yeah, he works with as Adam, like a, uh, a second Weingart. DA or something like that. Yeah, him and, and Weingart are buddies, right? Yeah, and and he also has done some shorts, yeah. um, but he hasn't done a hasn't really done a feature since. He also produced Turbo Kid, right? Um, but yeah, I kind of, I, I enjoyed, uh, Hobo with a Shotgun more when I saw it in theaters. Yeah. Um, but rewatching it, I did like, I mean, the moment everybody really likes with Rucker Hauer in terms of performance is when he talks about the, the bear photograph and, and, and stuff like that. And I also kind of like the end credit song with, uh, run with us from the raccoons. Yeah. Uh, TV opening, but yeah, it's, it's fine. But, but Rucker Hauer himself as an actor is one of those guys that like, if he's in it, you're always going to get something really interesting from him. And like, even looking at like movies like Lady Hawk and didn't he show up in Dark Knight or Batman? Batman Begins, Begins because right. Nolan's a huge yeah. uh, Blade Runner fan, yeah. and yeah, so he plays uh, the guy who takes over uh, Wayne. Wayne Industries. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last I'm trying to think like what the last big movie of his that I saw him in. Oh, he was in um, the Luc Besson film uh, Valerian. He has a, a, okay. a small cameo Does at he? the beginning. Yeah of that movie um but he was always good and he was always kind of weirdly underrated yeah i totally agree with that so uh yeah oh sisters brothers so he he's he he plays the uh uh oh what what was that was the character's name the the i'm blanking on the character's name but you only see him in the window for one shot and then at the end when uh john c Riley beats the shit out of his corpse okay right (laughs) Um, I watched, uh, the first five episodes of Amazon's The Boys. Um, I started it probably yesterday or the day before and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's giving me 
so I've talked about Invincible a lot on here, which Amazon also is going to be producing a series for. And, and Universal's um, releasing the film. The film. Right? And then Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who also were originally attached to this, are now just executive producing this. And it's actually show run uh, by Eric, Eric Kripke, who a Supernatural. Lot of Supernatural, which I was never a fan of Supernatural, but... Um, a lot of people are obviously, and uh, first episode is directed by Dan Trackenberg, who you guys would know from Ten Cloverfield Lane, and he's also doing the upcoming Uncharted film. Um, so I wanted to give it a shot, and I was in kind of like a, a superhero we have mood kind of thing, and something different. And uh, it's obviously hard R, um, very gory, uh, very sexual, very just. I mean, they include everything. It feels a little juvenile at times. So it kind of is um, almost like a Mark Millar style. A little bit, but not maybe as... I mean, there's a lot there, but I think it's trying to play with it in... Um, you know, it's it's having a social commentary on a lot of that stuff. So while maybe being Alan very Moore. crass. Yeah, a little bit, but maybe in between. Like that like yeah because it's still very also very crass yeah it's weirdly sexual yes it's very crass but i don't think on the level of a mark millar kind of like his comic stuff i mean obviously matt vaughn toned a little bit of that down but obviously with uh kingsman and stuff like that we see a lot of that still in there uh this threads that needle um there are times where i'm like this is a little excessive but i know that's what it's trying to go for um i get what it's trying to say about even today's society and how if superheroes existed, how they would be kind of utilized and the, uh, the, uh, consumerism. What's the word that I'm talking about? Uh, uh, anti-capitalism. Uh, yeah. Capitalism. capitalism yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of of it all is interesting. Um, I like Carl Urban a lot and he's the lead. Um, yeah. Co-lead. There's a young guy. I don't know if I've seen him in anything yet, but the story is that basically, um, there is a Justice League type group called the Seven who are basically run and owned by a corporation called the Voight uh, Corporation. So basically they John like, Voight? they monetize <laughs> baby, baby bird. bird. <laughs> they monetize these superheroes, right? And they have like a, a marketing and a PR team and like they basically uh, sell these superheroes to everyone and run them. Basically like if the Justice League was run not even by the government but by a corporation or something like that. Then there's another group called The Boys run by Carl Urban um, that are a group kind of going against these superheroes because they see the, the, the nasty side of them and they're not as heroic as they seem and they're all kind of corrupted and, and, and taking it advantage of people and they're and using their powers in, in bad ways, but coming across to everyone as these heroes. So uh, like a politician then. Yeah, basically, essentially, yeah. exactly. That's the commentary that it's trying to have. Right. And then, um, but playing in a different space a little bit and it's interesting. And I like that idea and then the uh, um it opens with this young kid who's with his girlfriend and um uh obviously very in love they're walking in the street they're talking about making jokes about something and then he's holding her hands and um she explodes and you realize that like um one of the seven one of the people in this justice league uh he's a basically like their version of the flash and he ran right through her and killed her um, because he was running so quickly and didn't realize. And then he just turns around. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't stop and just kind of keeps going. And then this guy's girlfriend is dead because of this. So he kind of holds this vendetta against them, but he's this kind of meek, um, 
kind of guy that like wouldn't normally get involved or seek revenge on this kind of stuff, but he gets kind of intertwined with Carl Ur- Urban's character and, and uh, ends up kind of like, you know, helping him out in this one situation, but then kind of he there, he's like in it now. And he's like, you, you basically, I don't want to spoil anything, but he just gets involved with the boys and ends up kind of, so he's hanging out with the boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I don't think it's great, but I, I've liked it enough that I'll probably finish this first season and, and, and see if I want to, but I'm getting to that point now on episode five, where this is when series usually start to like, lose me because i get through like the first half of the first season and i'm if i if it's how many episodes are there eight eight so eight hours um i'm getting to that point where i'm getting like a little antsy where i'm like all right let's get this plot moving a bit more um but the main guy who plays like the superman-esque character reminds me of bradley cooper a lot i forget his name um you got Elizabeth Shue is in it, I think, and uh, who else are like name actors that are in it? Because um, I remember Adam McKay was going to direct this at one point, and it was going to have um, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg is in it. Oh, he is. Yes. So he was. He's been involved from like the very beginning because even in the comic, um, one of the characters is based off of his likeness. Yeah. And he's always been a fan. Uh, he has a guest role, so he plays the father of the the main kid. Um, but he's only in maybe a few scenes in those first, like kind of four or five episodes. So he's just probably shot all of his stuff in one day and he's just a very limited role. I think Haley Joel Osment's supposed to show up at one point. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's shot in Toronto, which is interesting. Um, I think it's shooting literally down the street. I thought it was the Saw movie, but I'm pretty sure it's, uh, season two of the boys is shooting right down the street. Cause I see the New York city cab, um, and they have a New York hotel that they're masking from the great hall down the street from my condo. Um, so I, because this is set in New York, uh, but you see things like Bay station, they've turned Roy Thompson hall into this giant skyscraper, which is interesting. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun to see the Toronto locations kind of, um, throughout the series. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a, it's a mixed bag for me right now. Like I'm enjoying it. Um, it's very violent and over the top. And, so more um, of an entertainment than it is something that is truly, yeah, you know, ground breaking or, or, or just in terms of, you know, capturing your interest where you can watch it, you can enjoy it, but it's not addictive necessarily. Yeah. I'm not like hooked to the point where I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait for more. But yeah. This isn't we'll, necessarily event television. We'll see what the, it might be. I don't know. Maybe by the end of the first season where I'm like, Holy shit, that cliffhanger. Like I can't wait to see what happens. But, um, I, I think it's good. Sylvester Stallone. Uh, <laughs> cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> We're just referencing every stupid movie we've watched over the last couple of weeks. But, um, but, um, but it'll also be interesting in, 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 in to get your thoughts on that and how it compares to uh, the Watchmen series. Yeah, Watchmen and then Invincible coming yeah. too because this does remind me even playing with some of its themes and its uh, its villains as heroes kind of thing um, is is involved in, in Invincible. And I think this is just giving me hope that a live action Invincible could work but I'm more interested in that than I am the boys, but I don't, I haven't read the boys. I, I, I know a lot of people love it. So right. I, I think this will be fairly popular and it is good alt- alternative programming to your kind of typical Marvel superhero, DC superhero stuff. So it's obviously more adult, uh, but you get like, yeah, some over the top ridiculous things that are in there that you're just like a little much, very gory, very goopy. 
right. it makes sense. Like, um, just you gotta little, bring back the Max and Spawn a little bit too much at times, but um, I'm okay with it. I'll, I'll probably finish the first season, so I'll, I'll check in next week and let you guys know. Do you um, remember the Max? Yeah, I with do. With two X's, the yeah. guy in the purple right. suit. We got some weird superhero stuff at one time. Yeah. But, um, this is probably the first Amazon series that I've, I'll probably finish a season of, which is interesting. But I don't think I've watched any. No, I've watched the uh, Marvelous Miss Mavel. Oh, Maisel. Uh, Maisel. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't think I've watched much. Yeah, like Invincible is the one that I'm waiting for. I I mean the Nicholas Vining Reffin show. I I still want to see. Watch, I haven't watched but, that at all. But it's so. just like it's, it, I'm like it's I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm like 14 hours. I'm like I just can't right now. Yeah, um, I can do with eight hours. But we're getting to the point where I'm like that's why I'm excited for this Disney Plus shit. If they do like six episode seasons, mwah, Chef's Kiss. Right. Because like that's what I want. It's still six hours. Remember but when we least... used to get twenty four episodes in a season? Right. Like, well, you still do with network television, at least when it comes it. to sitcoms and things like that. But yeah, like, I mean, but look even at, then, look at I Lost, feel like... right? I mean, we keep making yeah. fun of the tattoo episode, but it's like literally if when you they have had twenty two to twenty four yeah. episodes, what are you gonna fill it with? But if Jack's you have <laughs> right, and even sometimes eight is pushing it when the material is kind of stretched thin. If you don't really have anything that is that dense, and to they're go shot through. like films now, where you basically are watching an eight-hour movie, and I'm like, yeah, I can barely get through stuff that's three hours so like right well even um, with tarantino you know doing the uh netflix edited the hateful eight and rumors now of once upon a time in hollywood going that route cut that way yeah yeah and um it's something actually that's a good segue because it's something that i wanted to lead into was just like he taught yeah tarantino came out and said that oh some of the cut scenes like with tim roth and and other people who were cut from the film uh might be put back into the movie once he re-edits it into probably a, a four episode uh miniseries like he did with hateful eight and i haven't gone back and watched that four hour four episode cut of of hateful eight yet i think it's mostly from what was in the roadshow version with a little bit more i think right um but only maybe a few minutes because a lot of that extra runtime is based on the opening credits and end credits, which are unedited from the film. So they're still very long. I'd be curious about once upon a time in Hollywood, how he does the opening credits and things like that, but, or the end credits in each one. But my theory right now is after there's been all this scuttlebutt about what is his final film going to be. I mean, there's obviously, I mean, he mouth vomits a lot. So like, it could be anything and we'll never know until it's shooting. Right. Well, um, look at all the projects that he has mentioned in the past that have never come to 25 fruition, years, yeah. right? From the Vega brothers to his version of Casino Royale. It's just like, you know, like he, he, he talks a good game, but he doesn't always deliver. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that. Cause a lot of filmmakers have a lot of, you know, uh, movies in the works that you can't just rely on one or two things but right. he's someone who gets excited very easily has a lot of ideas all the time and we've talked about what he'll do after he retires and maybe things like killer crow and the vega brothers might show up as novels at some point right or like he can build or plays out, or mini yeah he series. can build out his his universe even like based on like those things that the vega brothers wouldn't make sense anymore because travolta and and madsen are too old probably right yeah but um that could work as a novel and you'll 
get all those people who love Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, like buying a novel by Tarantino that um, that involves those characters or even Killer Crow building out his Inglorious Bastard stuff. And like something like I mean, he's talked about Kill Bill Volume three recently of talking with Uma Thurman about it. And like that could be something that I could see happening. But would that be his final film? Or would that also just be um, an extension of? Kill Bill Volume One and Two, where that's so it's like, well, this is now one film, so that doesn't count as my last movie, right? Um, and then you get things like the Star Trek movie, which um, he keeps talking about too, and and seems like Paramount is and is and Viacom are are open to um, doing this. Obviously, the writer of the Revenant uh, wrote the latest script, yeah, or or um, yeah, based on Tarantino's, Tarantino's story, yeah, and then so now with this whole television thing, which I ultimately think that's where he'll end up. He'll end up writing books and he'll end up directing some television and we'll get uh, a series of essentially Tarantino films broken up into chapters on, on either a streaming, probably a streaming service, right? Depending on if HBO locks him up, maybe the Star Trek thing because um, no wait, CBS. Yeah. CBS all access would yeah. be because Paramount, that's where Picard is coming. But Paramount from, right? is, Viacom, right? Yeah. Which would be HBO. So that's interesting with the HBO All Access or or HBO, what are they calling it? Max? Yeah. So, but the Star Trek television is on CBS where its movies are at Paramount, right? Right, right. But I don't know how all that works. I don't exactly know. But my theory was like, well, if Star Trek maybe doesn't make sense to be his last film or doesn't even make sense to like to be a, a film maybe it's too long or something like that i could see it end up being a cbs all access show where they have a little bit more freedom with the ratings and like and we're going to be talking about the stand in a little bit and that's one of the reasons why they said yeah and gonna... and also that gives paramount the option to continue the jj abrams produced series as a feature like to do one more of those as well, right? Where like I have a feeling that if Tarantino were to do his Star Trek movie, he would probably recast everybody um, or the characters and and go in a different direction completely, and it would be a one off. So why not make it a mini series instead of a right? A make film? it four episodes and yeah. do four hours, and and you make it a a mini series on. And we're already seeing that with like you mentioned Picard and and Discovery, obviously, right? Yeah. So, um. That makes sense to me, and maybe that's him dipping his toes into the, like, oh, I'm making something specifically for a streaming or television audience. Um, and then that opens up his final film to be 10 films written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, right? So yeah, because then... I don't think he's going to use the Abrams cast, especially with, like, recently him feuding with Simon Pegg over the tone of what his version of Star Trek would be, because Pegg doesn't want it to necessarily be overly violent and Tarantino's like no I, if I make a Star Trek movie it's going to be in my voice and it's Star going Trek, to have yeah. violence and 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 profanity and nudity and all this kind of stuff so that's why I think it this this is just me spitballing of where I could see the future going with him of just being like all right Star Trek might be his next thing but it's CBS all access and then we get the final Tarantino movie in which is officially written and directed yeah, by him and probably not... in four years, maybe five years, depending on how soon he I could see him get rolling on Star Trek pretty quickly and we get an update on that. Or maybe it's a film on this sounds weird, but like it's not a mini series, but it's like a CBS all access. That sounds like a TV movie, though, which I get icky about. But right. Um, 
like why do that you'd probably want to release it in theaters just for because with Star- like him ending on star trek as a film almost does kind of feel like a bit of a loophole almost like yeah because it won't be just him as a writer director it will be him as a director and story credit by yeah Interesting. Or maybe he does a pass on the script after. And right. Because he, he hasn't a, shared screenwriting uh, credits since within, Pulp Fiction yeah. with Roger Avery. But right? he could on this maybe, right? So maybe you, you go the route of like, he came up with the story. I forget the writer's name. It's, it's Mark. Mark. I'm going to look yeah. it up as you. Mark talk. something who wrote The Revenant. And um, then maybe Tarantino does a pass on it to put like just to make sure it's still very much his voice. And uh, maybe he gets a co-writer credit, right? Um depending on how much he rewrites. But anyways, it's it's fun to speculate in, in this evolving landscape. When it Mark comes L. Smith. To, Mark L. Smith. Um, in this evolving landscape of like t- what's television, what's movies, and... and uh, what's content versus... Yeah, exactly. When directors are going over and doing television and directing every episode, it's essentially a long film split up into chapters. And, and you're seeing more and more shows even shot in in cinemascope 239 like the boys is shot in 239 right and yeah. you're getting it discovery i think the second season was also shot that way picard looks like it's going to be too so. and we'll even be talking about this more in this episode with um you know our thoughts on the irishman trailer as well even you know and and you know scorsese kind of lending uh his talents to uh, making a Netflix film and how that's going to be perceived because I mean Roma was met with a lot of hesitance uh, from certain Academy members as well, right? Exactly. Yep. All right, let's move into uh, staying at home. Eric, you've got a f- couple picks this week for physical. Yes. Yeah, so for physical media, I have BoJack Horseman season one and two, which is a Netflix series. Uh, Shout Factory has released the first two seasons. Oh wow! And cool. a collector's edition on Blu-ray. Um, if you haven't seen the show, it's very dark, very melancholy, but also extremely funny. Will Arnett voices the title character. Um, it's a satire about the showbiz industry and sort of a fading uh, television star trying to make his big comeback. And uh, it's a really, really good show. I haven't watched the most recent season, but those first couple of seasons are so well written and put together. Um and a lot of the voice cast is interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend giving it a shot. If you don't have Netflix and are curious about it, now it's available on uh, uh, Blu-ray. So you can check that out. And, and the other film that I want to recommend that's uh, available on physical media, which you can go back and uh, listen to our review on, I had the hiccups during it, <laughs> is uh, Longshot with uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. I feel it's kind of one of those underrated movies of the year that is a traditional rom-com but at the same time it's taking those tropes and having fun with them and sort of building on them and and both Theron and Rogan have great chemistry together um it's a very enjoyable movie an easy watch something that I think maybe will find a, a larger audience on streaming services and platforms and, and things like that. But now's the time to watch it because it didn't really get that much of a reception during its theatrical uh, release. I think it could perform well on like streaming yeah. and renting. So um, for digital the Captain Crunch line specifically. Yeah, that's great. Oh my God. I died, man. Uh, preaching to the choir on that one. Um, on digital, uh, mind you, this is the <laughs> Apple canada store so apologies if you guys buy your movies anywhere else digitally apologies um shut up okay uh 
Uh, I want to mention Avengers Endgame is out on uh, uh, digital right now. So we'll get it physically in two weeks, I August believe. 13th. Yes. Uh, but right now you can uh, purchase it on a plethora of digital stores. Uh, you won't get it in 4K on... It's weird that Apple and Disney don't play nice when it comes to their releases. So Well, Disney doesn't play nice with a lot of people. But you can get their Disney 4K stuff on places like Vudu and the Google Play Store. Right. Which but is they don't play nice with Amazon a lot of the yeah, time either. When so. it comes to their new releases, like you can't order uh, Avengers Endgame from Amazon. No, usually you can't pre-order any yeah. of their stuff. You can, you have you to, can like... pre-order their catalog 4K. But so like Iron new, Man yeah. 1 through 3 and the Thor movies that are coming out also on August Gotta 13th. Gotta get Thor the Dark World in 4K. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to look any better. Um, but yeah, you can't you can't order any of their, their newer content. Yeah, so that's really interesting. But if you want to see Avengers in 4K HDR before the physical release, you can get it on, I think, Vudu in the US as well as in Canada, the Google Play Store. And then you can obviously get it places like Apple and, and the Cineplex Store and things like that. Um so not really a deal, but just letting you guys know the biggest movie of all time is now available at home. Uh, Eric, you put this on here, the souvenir. Is yeah, so we were talking about this um, recently uh, off off the show. Um, so A24 has this new deal with Lionsgate, who does a lot of their uh, physical media distribution, that they will release a, a, a traditional Blu-ray um, if the movie makes over a uh, million dollars, if it doesn't, it will start on streaming service. You can still get it on DVD, but you can't get it on Blu-ray. Um, but you can uh, get the best quality version through uh, Apple or uh, streaming services. streaming services in general. So the souvenir Joanna Hogg's movie um, is now now available to buy, which is fourteen ninety nine, and then will be available to rent. Um, in a couple weeks. In a couple, yeah. no. Uh, the, the as we're talking, I'm sure it'll be the the six. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, but from there, if it does well, it will then be released on a BDR, which is a Blu-ray recorded version. Like a, which is, they'll just print it on basically. Yeah. Like so a, they've done that already with Climax and Under the Silver Lake. Um, so it's not going to be the greatest quality, but if you want a Blu-ray version of it, maybe that'll happen in the next month or so. But for now, if you want to see it, um, if it's playing in a theater near you still go and check it out. But if not, it's available, uh, to buy and to rent, uh, uh this month. Cool. Uh, the rest from me, uh, Creed two in 4k, you can get for under $10 on the Apple store. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Uh, is a ninety-nine cent rental in four K right now, but also you can get it for ten dollars if you'd like to own it. Um, I love this movie. The other guys in four K. I think the only place you can get it in four K, or does it? No, it got a physical release recently. No, it, no, it, it does not. Um, Step Brothers. Was Step Brothers did okay. Released on four K. Uh, Seven dollars for the four K of other guys. Uh, if you guys want to catch up on the Fast and Furious films, you can get all of them for forty dollars in four K, which is a Pretty great deal for eight films. Uh, yep, that all kind of blur together. Oh, yeah, but they're all available in 4K, uh, pretty cheap. And then I wanted to give a shout out to uh, the guys over at Kind of Funny, which announced their fall programming, fall and winter programming for their in review series, which is something I talk about. 
pretty frequently. Um, if you guys follow me on Letterboxd and places, you'll see that I quite regularly follow along with their in-review series. Uh, so their next one coming up, they're doing uh, Harry Potter in-review. Um, so this isn't very cheap, but it is still less than, it's about $10 a film. You guys can get the Harry Potter collection, not including the Fa Fantastic Beast movies. <laughs> but do you want those? Uh, and even even they're like, we're not doing the Fantastic Beast movies right now. They're like, we'll get to it maybe like when the next one comes out. But they're only doing the mainline Harry Potter movies. Uh, but 4K collection, eighty bucks. So still a little bit of an investment. But if you guys wanted to follow along with them uh, on the Harry Potter in review, you guys can pick those movies up for eighty bucks. They're probably also maybe streaming somewhere in the U.S., but I'm not sure exactly. But they also announced this could go in the news thing. But anyone who wants to follow along with them, they're doing Harry Potter. They're doing a Star Wars in review. They're doing a Terminator in review, but only doing the canon ones leading into uh, so one Dark and two, Fate and that's one it. and two, and then Dark Fate. Uh, they didn't want to bother with any of the other right. ones, which I don't blame them. Uh, and then they're also doing, I mean, Star Wars will be massive and they're also doing uh, Frozen leading into Frozen because they're continuing their Disney trend over the summer. So shout out to those guys. It's very funny. I listened to their Hobbs and Shaw review and yesterday. Frozen is getting um, a 4K release, a physical media release in October. Nice. Yeah. Leading into Frozen 2. All right, man. Uh, you want to get into talking trailers? We got yeah. uh, we got a good amount of stuff this week. Um, one that you can't even uh, see and yet you only, you have to go see Hobbs and Shaw and IMAX. Let's maybe start there. So neither of us have seen this um, in theaters, uh, but the only way to see the new trailer for Christopher Nolan's Tenet is before IMAX showings of Hobbs and Shaw. So now, does this include else. Canadian showings as well? I it's, believe Is it playing so. in IMAX? And... At Young and Dundas. Young and Dundas. So Dundas. not at Scotiabank. So it's weird things like I, I believe because when Disney releases a, a film, uh, it has to be playing in your biggest theater for I think at least three to four weeks, which is why sometimes if a Disney movie is around, you won't see something like Hobbs and Shaw, which is also playing in IMAX, kind of overtake the Scotiabank. Right. Um, which is our... If for those of you not from Toronto, our Scotiabank Theater is a laser projection IMAX theater, and it's a real sized IMAX, so it's not a LIMAX. It's like a legit IMAX theater. Um, so preferably when you're seeing an IMAX film in Toronto, you either want to see it at Cinesphere or Scotiabank, um, and Cinesphere only shows second run stuff. For the most part. Um, so Hobbs and Shaw is playing at the Young and Dundas IMAX. I haven't talked to anyone who has seen this in um, Toronto, but there's many descriptions online. Um, it's a boot short. Leg. There's a, a couple bootlegs you guys can, I mean, I don't. Recommend I usually, it. But... I usually don't recommend people. Like something like a trailer, I don't feel like you're st stealing or anything, but like right. it's not the greatest experience watching the bootleg. But, but I do feel that Warner Brothers, as soon as those bootlegs came up, should have released it online just to kind of cut it, you know, like to just like the way that they kind of do now with the uh, Comic-Con stuff. <laughs> but you know this is a Nolan thing probably. Like, I know, I know, contract, but it's but... still going to happen, right? So you might as well beat them to the punch. And I think and... it'll pop up on Monday. So probably yeah. as you guys are listening to this, it might already be online. But um, I will not confirm nor deny if I watched a bootleg of it. Right. Um, we'll talk about it when it's officially yeah. available for... It sounds cool. From the descriptions I've heard from people yeah. and maybe or not this bootleg... Um, 
I'm intrigued to see a good quality version of it, whether I see it in front of an IMAX screening uh, coming up, because I'm sure it'll be playing in front of many different IMAX uh, movies leading forward, moving forward. And then, uh, but it's kind of like even before the, I mean, if we go to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood today, there's a 70 millimeter trailer for Joker on that, which is the only way you can see that 70 mil trailer. Cool. Um, and it's playing in seven, it's confirmed that it's opening in 70 millimeter when it uh, releases. Um, God, what a weird time. <laughs> but Warner Brothers has done that. No, I just like, mean for DC yeah. in general. But I, I saw Wonder Woman and Batman vs Superman in seventy millimeter. No, not Batman vs Superman because I never ended up. I only saw it that one time, and I right. had no interest in seeing it again. Um, but I saw Fantastic Beasts in seventy millimeter. So Warner Brothers has experimented with seventy mil, which is weird. Yeah, no, uh, I, I and I dig that, but I just think it's weird that it's like. You know, we're getting a, a DC, another DC movie in 70 millimeter. And it's just, it's like, again, kind of going into the fall festival season. So um, good on them, I guess. Yeah. So if you guys want, Equal go, see, opportunist. go see Hobbs and Shaw in IMAX and you'll see the Tenet trailer. And maybe it'll be online soon. I would think Monday morning we're probably getting it. Yeah. Although, I mean, look at the hunt though, right? The, um, it was like almost three weeks before yeah. we got it, right? Because it just got released online. Yeah, because it was playing in front of Crawl. Yeah, I saw some people tweeting being like, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time. Only Christopher Nolan could get a film, a trailer that's only playing in theaters. I'm like, nah, Jason Blum, all right? Yeah. He's done it twice with Happy Death Day to You. Yep. And now The Hunt recently, right? So, <laughs> Gotta uh, give Blum his due. All right, uh, let's move into where do you want to kick it off? Um, I think we should talk about The Irishman. Oh, yeah. I mean, duh. Uh, good point. Um, yes, so we finally got our full, a first full trailer for The Irishman. So we can kind of tie this into the news that um, The Irishman will be opening the New York Film Festival this year. So it was also announced in this past week. And then the day after that announcement, um, we got a trailer drop. So Eric, your thoughts on The Irishman trailer? Um, it looks good. It looks like a Martin Scorsese movie. Mom I movie, love yeah. the crane shots. I love the stuff with uh, De Niro and Pesci and then seeing Al Pacino, who again, who's never worked with Scorsese before in the mix. Um, I think the main talking point here is going to be uh, the de-aging of De Niro, um, who doesn't look as young as we were thinking uh, maybe before we actually saw the trailer. Like when we heard that, you know, Scorsese was going to be using this uh, motion capture technology to make De Niro. We thought he'd be in his twenties. Yeah. Like, like, like taxi driver De yeah. Niro, right? Like but it's young De Niro. But it's more like late nine or yeah, mid it, to late nine. It looks 90s. like casino era De Niro. Or even a little 95. bit later than that. Yeah. Um, and he still does kind of look plastic or, or or waxy, if you will, but he doesn't look as bad as I was thinking, but we only saw a quick kind of cut of him on the phone. And we see Joe Pesci de-aged a little bit, yeah. I think, in another scene, and uh, Al Pacino. So we see all three of them, I think, de-aged a little bit, but it almost looks like it's only like 20 years de-aged, not 30 to 40. 30 to 40, yeah. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I thought it looked excellent. Um, I... Uh, I've watched it a few times since it, it dropped, and uh, I, a huge get for the New York Film Festival. Um, well, to open the fest. Yeah, yeah. Is, is great, and I'm sure we'll get a release at with the announcement we don't have in our news, but um, there's going to be a Scorsese retrospective playing the Lightbox in November and December, so I'm assuming 
It'll um, have a theatrical run at the Lightbox. Yeah, and... which makes sense because Netflix yeah. has been doing that uh, with their bigger uh, films. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm also just excited. Like, it was kind of surprising that we got the trailer, even though the announcement was made that it, I mean, even just the announcement of it playing. Uh, and opening New York is is kind of exciting because we've been hearing for so long now that this movie has been taking forever to uh, be completed because of the post-production uh, effects and Scorsese not being uh, completely satisfied with what he was originally seeing. And so uh, from a lot of spectators and pundits point of view, like this was a movie that was going to be last minute so you know maybe we are closer to completion than what we thought and again netflix sort of paying the bill for this uh rumors are that it's over 200 million dollars in, in budget and originally it was supposed to be at stx and then uh paramount at one time stx so, would have given it 40 million yeah and they that. would have delayed it five times like yeah. the way that they have uh, 21 bridges um i mean i exaggerate with that but but they have delayed it now twice um so yeah, I, I'm just uh, kind of shocked that we got it, and it kind of came out of nowhere because shocked, Netflix I mean, you never call... really builds up to yeah. a trailer announcement. No, they just dropped them out of nowhere on the same day we got the Mine uh, Hunter trailer. Mine yeah, Hunter trailer. for season two of that, which is strange because again, you have these two tour filmmakers having both of their trailers being dropped, and it kind of felt like the Irishman kind of sucked out all the um, conversation out of the room and, and, and all the air out of the room and, and nobody was really talking about, I mean, the teaser for Mindhunter season two was very short, but I mean, I still think it's worth mentioning. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you called it perfectly that if it was going to show up anywhere, it would probably be New York. Yeah. We were talking about this last year. Like I remember when we were in New York and we were walking in Tribeca and we were talking about, you know, if if the Irishman were to show up, it would probably be in like the opening of New York. Right. Like that. It makes sense that it's, uh, they nabbed it as an exclusive there. So, and it seems like they're going, I mean, I know we're talking trailers right now, but just in terms of talking about maybe kind of, uh, New York in general, there are other two, uh, big movies that will be the centerpiece and closing films were also announced, but they'll be playing Toronto, which is Noah Baumbach's, uh, marriage story and Edward Norton's motherless Brooklyn. So all three films are New York centric past and present. Yeah. That makes sense. I think it's a yeah. cool, uh, a cool thing for them to do uh, to showcase the city like that. Um, but yeah, super, super excited for Irishman. I cannot wait to see it, um, and can't wait to see it on the big screen. So we're very lucky that. I mean, I feel like it'll get a significant release for theaters that will play it. I mean, a lot of draft house locations, indie theaters, things like that will, will show it. Um, but. Uh, depending on if you have that type of theater in your town, right? Because if you only have a multiplex, then it might not show up, which is unfortunate. Right, unless Netflix is able to make some sort of deal where they keep yeah. it in theaters longer before before putting it on the streaming service. Yeah. Because I know Scorsese himself will probably want to want push it, it for a theatrical uh, a platform release of some sort for a period of time. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on to... Uh, some TIFF stuff. Or no, let's go into 1917. So uh, Sam Mendes, uh, his new film, 1917, uh, the trailer dropped um, 
looking a hell of a lot like, like Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah, even, even though music. it's World War One versus yeah. World War Two, but um, the way that the the teaser is presented and and it still hasn't been confirmed whether or not it's one single take. Um, but that is the rumor. Uh, visually, I mean, it's Roger or it's Deakins made to look, look like, like one take. Yeah. yeah. Um, Roger Deakins is a cinematographer on it, so obviously it does look visually uh, stunning. Um, and I see what you're saying, though, too. Even the way that the trailer's put together, it almost looks like it will be following this one guy. Yeah, the, like their the mission thing, right? is to warn this group of, of, of British soldiers from not going through with uh, a battle because they're going to be ambushed. And, and uh, his brother is yeah, part Yeah, and one of, of the messenger's brothers is in the platoon. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it looks interesting. It looks great. I, yeah. I, I thought it looks... I mean, yeah, obviously the Deacons connection, I'm like, oh boy. I, right. I, I, I can't wait for that. Um, uh, you get Benedict Cumberbatch in there. Colin Firth. Colin Firth. Yes. Uh, the main kid's from... Uh, George from? McKay, and then one of them is from Game of Thrones. Right, or something like that, yeah. yeah. But no, looking forward to this. Uh, I'm surprised. I don't think it's going to show up anywhere. No, um, unless it's AFI. Right. Depending if it's done. Yeah. Like, it might be one of those movies where it just gets released in the, the holiday season. Well, I'm assuming if you're trying to make it look like one single take, that's going to be kind of tricky from an editing standpoint. Right? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that sounds cool. Um, it does very much look like Dunkirk. Like, even the music with the, like, ticking, like, yeah. it sounds exactly like it. Um, but why wouldn't you try and, I don't know, Dunkirk did fairly well, so... Um, I'm sure this will be pretty successful. Looking forward to it. Well, I feel like any war movie after Dunkirk will, like, it'll be hard not to compare it, especially if it is World War One or Two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this the first thing he's done since Skyfall? Spectre. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Because he was going to do something, there was something else he had. And then they finally, they convinced him to come back, right? Yeah, because he was going to do, I think he was going to make, uh, not a Harry Potter movie, obviously, but J.K. Rowling had another book, The Casual right, yeah. Voyeur or something Didn't like that. Didn't that end up being a series? Yeah, on, like, no one saw no it. No one saw it, yeah. yeah. I think it was on BBC and HBO. Right. Um, all right, now into a couple uh, TIFF films. We got uh, the trailers for, um, we got the trailer for The Lighthouse. Yar. Robert Eggers, uh, director of The Witch, um, dropped the first trailer for The Lighthouse from A24. Uh, black and white, four by three, starring Robert Pattinson and uh, Willem Dafoe about uh, a couple men on this. Uh, lighthouse keepers. Yeah, lighthouse keepers. And uh, looks great. Looks very As weird. As they descend into uh, madness. Yeah, it looks very weird. There's an octopus. <laughs> um, I'm in, dude. Yeah, yeah I am I'm as in. well. Yeah. I, I like the uh, black and white uh, film stock yeah. that he Shot used. on 35. Yep, shot in uh, Yarmouth, uh, Nova Scotia. Um, so it looks like it's going to be one of those very intimate kind of movies where you just have a two-hander, so to speak. It could almost be a play where you see these two, uh, characters and performances go back and forth and sort of slowly but surely, um, grind on one another and just get to that point of where... Sounded very sexual. (laughs) Yes. Well, it could, you never know, there could be sexual frustration. Two guys living alone, yeah. yeah. I could see that. Um, very excited to check this out at the festival. And we nerd out about this kind of stuff because it, during TIFF, I love when they play movies in 4 by 3 because it's one of the only times that we'll probably be able to see that with proper masking <laughs> or else you'll be going somewhere where it'll be horribly 
giant spaces on both sides and things like that. But uh, super, super excited about uh, the lighthouse. Even though I wasn't a huge fan of the witch, I do think I should revisit it probably before the festival starts. Right, because you saw it during the festival too, right? Sat you saw in the it... second row. Oh, yeah. That's... And you um, saw it near the end of the festival? Yeah, or I was, just, I was just really tired when I saw that movie. Yeah, see, that's a film that I think like you just need to see on its own terms and, and not maybe necessarily in like a three to four movie day. And yeah, sitting that close to the theater screen might not do it justice. Yeah, and I think it was also an expectations thing, right? Because I think it got great reviews out, out of, of Sundance. Sundance and and like, also it was being billed as a horror film. When it's so. really a slow burn kind of. And I, I can get into that stuff. I just need to be in the right headspace. Sirens are, are on I, our side. Yeah. Um, if you guys can hear that or not, I'm not sure. Um, next up, I want to talk about the Takashi Miike film, First Love. Um I don't know when this trailer dropped, but it was I was a couple weeks was ago. It? Cause Cause I was it? Uh, because Well, USA Films picked it up for distribution from Cannes. Right. Not that it, I don't and think it played in the in competition section. No, it was but... in Fortnite, I think. Yeah. Um, and I finally, because my Apple Trailers app was finally working again, which is, um, I think, the best quality I can watch trailers on my TV. So I go on there. I saw the poster, uh, caught my eye. Um, I love the pink and blue. It's very on trend right now, well, but like it also like, like that. The, the those graphics in the trailer look like something out of the late to early two late nineties, early two thousands. Like it looks like that kind of text. Yeah, and I, I love it. I love the color palette. And then I I put this trailer on, and I was really taken aback. I'm not very familiar with. Takashi Miike, like I haven't really dabbled in. I think, well, he much makes or so anything. many movies. That's right? what I mean. Like, I well, feel like every is, every Midnight is, Madness. You know, when when that movie played at Cannes, he's probably made another seven films. Yeah. Did you hear if it got good reviews at a Cannes or? Yeah, it seemed like the people that saw it enjoyed the movie and and thought it was well done. I mean, yeah, his career is very prolific, and he's made over a hundred movies as a director. So really, yeah, yeah, Holy he's one shit. of the most like. Like and he's, I don't know how old he is. I think he's in his seventies now, seventies, eighties. Yeah, yeah. So he always has a movie in production. I was, yeah, I was going through his go. filmography after watching this trailer because I, I every year I would hear his name. Like I mentioned, like I feel like every other Midnight Madness or every Midnight Madness, I feel like he has a film. Yeah, he has a and, lot of crap. I yeah, mean, that's what uh, I mean. Yakuza I feel like Apocalypse is one yeah. of the worst Midnight Madness movies. One of the worst films i think i've ever seen um he also directed is it Ichi, just because sometimes killer. he's so quick that it's i think just so like... and yeah and, and he's playing in so many genres but also i mean like depending on the budget of the film and the concept i mean if it's if it is too high concept or ridiculous it can be almost just rushed and it's like okay well i can just chop this thing together in you know a month and and get it out there by the end of the year and he usually has like two or three films sometimes in in one calendar one year, year. So, yeah 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 i think there's been times where two of his films have played Midnight yeah. Madness or something uh i really dug this trailer i thought it uh i thought it was excellent like um uh it seems right up my alley and late like, 90s kind of yeah. crime thriller maybe neo noir it has hyper stylized a boxer and, kind of getting into the wrong crowd and falling in love this, with somebody yeah. Yeah. yeah and um loved that shot of the car chase on the highway that it opens up with um 
obviously love the the mashing of different genres and blending of different kind of styles and is hyper stylized but i thought the trailer was excellent and uh i cannot wait to see this now um yeah i'm excited about it as well and um i think it opens at the end of september so september 27th yes i believe so and Um, so usually what happens with uh those movies is that they will get a release in canada um because it's the same company that released burning last year Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, cool. I got to rewatch Burning, too. Um, have you rewatched it since, Tim? Uh, yeah, yeah. I rewatched it at the end of the year for um, to, the awards. Just stuff. to make yeah. sure yeah. it held up. Yeah, super, super excited uh, for this now. Um, kind of wasn't even on my radar until I uh, watched that See, trailer. that's the magic, right? Like, yeah. you, you find stuff as you go through the year and stuff that you weren't necessarily anticipating. For sure. Uh, next up, he's made the sequel already. I just want you to know. Right, we don't have much. Uh, do you want to talk about Mindhunter season two? I'm, I haven't I, watched I, the I mean, first. We already season. mentioned it. It's, yeah. it. There's not much to it other than it's going to be dealing with um, sort of the Atlantic, not Atlantic, um, Atlanta and sort of serial killers there. Charles Manson is featured, who's played by the same actor in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so same universe then, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's no, it's not because right. anyway. <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. I haven't, I really do want to watch the first season. I just, it's good. I just I don't like Jonathan Groff. As yeah. The lead. I, agree. I find he's a little stiff. Agreed. Um, do you want to talk about Queen and Slim? I mean, the new trailers out, it looks good, but it hasn't shown up at, on yeah. any festival radar as of yet. I thought I, it would, but yeah, like that's a movie to me that would be, that would benefit from playing at a festival first. And then it, you, you know, would get buzz around it and it looks good. So like, what's, going on with it unless it's just not done which that could be the case yeah but um at first i thought i was watching the same trailer as the first trailer but it's just a longer version yeah of it um it basically the first trailer was about a minute and i think this is like two and a half minutes right um starts off exactly the same but then just goes into some crazier and crazier shit and it looks really cool i'm very very excited for that as well um and then we won't go into detail but i just wanted to give a shout out like i mentioned earlier um about tiff trailers if you guys go to youtube there is a tiff trailers um youtube page that i think if you are going to the festival or you're excited for it um subscribe to that or if you don't go on youtube as frequently as eric or i and have a whole subscription page just revisit that because um there's a lot of good stuff up there that i feel like i haven't seen shown up on the major trailer channels and things like that because they're kind of smaller things or things that don't have release dates or don't have big distributors and things like that so there's a trailer for um is it weathering with you? Yeah. Um, um, that's going to be playing uh, Tiff and number seven, cherry lane, which are two animated, uh, films that are playing the festival that I haven't really seen those trailers pop up, uh, anywhere else. And they have both clips and trailers for a lot of the stuff that's playing the festival, uh, both big and small. Um, so we, we're not going to go over everything. Maybe when we continuously go through the TIFF lineup, like we're going to be doing today, we'll talk about if we've seen clips or trailers from some of those films and, and we'll talk about it once we're talking about those films. Yeah. But, and also um, for people that are wanting to get a head start on their schedule, even though the, the actual schedule isn't released yet, TIFFer is open now. Yes. So you can start selecting movies that you want to see on your, on your, your list. So you have that ready to go. Yes. I did that this week. I, I tweeted about that. Um, love those 
dudes. Shout out to them. They're officially partnering with TIFF for the second year in a row now. Yeah, because it's built um, in on their the, website. The, 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 the TIFF website. So yeah. you can go there and you can even see the, the, the heart yeah. there for liking it. Yeah, that's great. I, what a great idea to actually partner with these guys because like, um, TIFFer is a lifesaver and I feel like they should be partnering with every film festival to do this thing because they're they it, like I've never seen something so easy, uh, like the you the interface and everything is just an easy to grasp and it's so intuitive and it helps immensely when planning your schedule. Like yeah. I, I could not even go fathom going back and using anything other than it. Like imagine going back and having to look at all the different. Fucking and having to write everything and write, down yeah, and then and like, yeah, and kind of piece it together. It like yeah, it's, like it's 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 in, it's done in three like really easy steps. You know, you look at the full layout, the the list of films that are playing once the the lineup will be officially announced. So everything. Then you select what you you're most interested in seeing, and then from there makes a short um, list. It makes a short list, and then you whittle it down further to what you can see on what days and what you can reschedule. And or it lays fit in. it lays everything out in a schedule so you can see what's overlapping, and then you can also see if it's a premium or a press screening or an industry screening. And like, it's so easy to just kind of go, oh, okay, here's all my films laid out for the day. Let's kind of pick and choose to make the schedule the three, four, maybe only two movies, depending on what you do. Um, and then you can kind of build an initial schedule and then kind of move things around. And, and then you can also export it to into your calendar, calendar yeah. or share it with friends. It is so intuitive and so great. So I just want to say, like, if you guys are planning on going on TIFF, Eric and I will be beating this over the head all summer probably of saying yeah. use tiffer it's all you got to do 2019.tiffer.com they're not paying us at all nope. i don't even think they're getting paid or they might now that they're sponsored sponsored with tiff or, or sponsored uh, partnered i hope they are um, i hope they are <laughs> but because they used to do this just for the sake of helping people out which shout out to them because um it it's a fantastic. simple solution and it's easy to use um and it'll make your life a lot easier especially during a hectic schedule or a hectic festival and and yeah like it should i mean they should expand or or have pay the other festivals should be paying them to for the service like, yeah work them their festivals as well because like venice telluride new york even can and sundance like all those festivals and people going to them could benefit from a service like this yes one hundred percent and great segue this leads us into the news and we're going to kick it off with another uh tiff talk segment so tiff talk uh, tiff 2019 <laughs> can con edition yes so eric and i uh, had the pleasure of attending the uh, 2019 toronto international film festival canadian press conference on wednesday so um I took a half day, Eric and I met up, and uh, we were going to go see Hobbs and Shaw later that night, but we decided to pop in and go to the Canadian press conference on Wednesday. Uh, always an interesting event, and I think it's more so to um, obviously uh, get some exposure on some of these smaller Canadian films that are playing the festival. Um, there is a large red carpet at the event where they interview a lot of the directors and talent. Um, but it's always interesting because the announcement goes out at 10 a.m. that morning, but the press conference isn't until two in the afternoon. So going into the press conference, if you're not interviewing any of the talent, 
you kind of already know all the films, but it is nice to kind of hear from a few people, see some clips, see some trailers, get a little bit more context of what these films are. And then there's also an open bar and some pastrami sandwiches. <laughs> right. Yo, those sandwiches uh, were there's amazing. There's a different food station. So I had some poutine, some pastrami sandwiches, and uh, very Canadian focused. You mingle with the fellow critics and... and Industry people, industry people, yeah. PR yeah. Um, people, and things like that. So it was nice to kind of see everyone. So shout out to everyone who um, we saw at the event. Um, uh, I talked to uh, Sean Kelly. Shout out, Sean. Thank you for always messaging us. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the podcast and, and, and what Sean saw at Fantasia Fest and different things like that. We saw our friend Jake Howell. Jason Power, uh, Paulo as well. Paulo is there. Yeah, I always see Paulo at that event. So shout out to everyone who said hello. Um, thank you guys for um, stopping us. It was it was fun. Yeah. And then uh, then we got the announcement of uh, what the Canadian lineup is looking like. At, Which was earlier in the morning. In the morning, yeah. but we did hear from Adam Agoyan and we heard from... Um, who could use Tiffer. He could, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we always make a joke that we see Adam Agoyan at um, uh, the industry office trying to make his schedule... Um, and uh, the other director we heard from, I'm trying to find her name. She has two films at the fest. Yes, is she the director of the Body Remembers when the world when the world broke open? Was that it? She's one of the co-directors. Yes. Uh, so is it? I think it was Ellie Maja Tailfeathers. Yes, because yes. it's not Kathleen uh, Hepburn. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she also spoke at the event as well. Um, yeah, so uh, Eric and I wanted to kind of do a similar thing like we did with the first Tiff Talk episode. I know we focused that entire episode on the first batch of announcements. There's a little less this time. Um, I don't have descriptions of everything. Um, Eric, I don't know if you wanted to pull up descriptions or should we just kind of go through the list and then talk about it as a whole? I think we should just maybe, yeah, talk about it as a whole. Just kind yeah. of go through the list and, and talk about it. And again, like... It's weird because, you know, us being in Toronto and being Canadian and part of the industry, there was a lot of titles that I didn't even really recognize. I mean, there's a couple things like Blood Quantum that is opening Midnight Madness that we actually got invited to go and see um, uh, uh, a couple months, a month yeah, or two a screening ago. For, but we, we refused because we were pressed. It was, it was a, like a test, test screening. screening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's Jeff Barnaby who directed Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Um, which people really like it's right? good it's it's yeah. really well done and this is a, uh, a zombie film that takes place on a first nations reserve, reserve. Yeah. um shutter picked up the rights to it for streaming services so it'll be it playing. sounds really cool and it's about like a group of like uh uh white people that are trying to seek like refuge right <laughs> there and i'm like that's a really interesting kind of thing that you're playing with there um, so I, I'm actually excited to see that one. Um, but let me run through the list yeah. and then we'll talk uh, about them. So sorry, guys. I don't have descriptions for everything. Um, I and mean, some of them were also previously announced as well. So like the, the Agoyan, uh, American Woman. Um, so th those movies are not um, new to the, uh, the right. additional. But uh, I will Canadian go through movies. everything. So yeah. let's kick it off with the galas. We have American Woman, uh, which is the Canadian premiere from Semi Chellis. Uh, we have Once We Were Brothers, Robbie Robertson and the band from Daniel Roher, which is a world premiere in the galas. And then The Song of Names, which is from uh, Francois Girard, uh, which is a world premiere. Uh, in the special presentations, uh, we have Clifton Hill from Albert Chin, which is a world premiere. Uh, we have Guest of Honor from Adam McGoyan, which is a North American premiere. 
so those are all films that we had heard already, right? Yeah. Because they were in special pre- presentations and galas. Uh, not not Clifton Hill. Oh, we didn't. Okay, no. cool. Because that's the one uh, where David Cronenberg has a role in. Right. In it. it takes place yeah. in Niagara Falls, yes. correct? Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a sec. Special events. We have David Foster, Off the Record, by Barry Averich. Uh, we have One Day in the Life of Noah uh, Piugatuk uh, from Zacharias Canuck, uh, which is a North American premiere. Uh, in the Masters category, we have Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger, from Alanis Obomsawin, uh, uh, which is a world premiere. In the TIFF Docs category, we have Coppers by Alan uh, Zweig, um, or Zweig um, world premiere. This is Not a Movie by uh, Young Chang, uh, which is a world premiere. Uh, There's Something in the Water by Ellen Page and Ian Daniel, which is a world premiere. We have uh, Black... Oh, sorry, this is now in Discovery. Um, Black Conflicts by Nicole Dorsey. Easy Land by Sanja Zikovic. Uh, We have uh, Quesipan by Miriam Vero, uh, which is a world premiere. Uh, These are all world premieres. Uh, Murmur by Heather Young. Uh, Raph by Harry Sepka. Uh, we have The Rest of Us by Aisling Chin Yi. Uh, and then in contemporary world cinema, we have And the Birds and the Birds Rained Down by Louise Archambault. Archambault. Uh, I, that name's familiar. Louis Archambault. I feel like I've seen something from him recently. Um, I'm going to look it up. A lot of these I am familiar with because when I worked for Tribute, I would like handled a lot of the Canadian films and in interviews, so I probably even talked to some of these people. Uh, Antigone, which was by uh, oh, it's the director of uh, Gabriella. Okay, yeah, yeah. Antigone by Sophie uh, Deraspe. Uh, apologies if I'm butchering some people's names. Uh, the Body Remembers When the World Broke Open by Ellie uh, Maya Tailfeathers and Kathleen Hepburn. Uh, Castle in the Ground by Joey Klein. The Last Porno Show by Kyra Papoots. Uh, Tammy's Always Dying by Amy Jo Johnson, uh, who you guys would know as the Pink Ranger from Power Rangers. Uh, White Lie uh, by Calvin Thomas and Yona Lewis. Who directed the Oxbow Cure that played at TIFF. Not the festival, but the Lightbox four or five years ago now. Right, yeah. I remember that too. Um, in Midnight Madness, we have Eric already mentioned, but the opening night Midnight Madness film, which is Blood Quantum by Jeff Barnaby. And then we have The 20th Century by Matthew Rankin. Now, that movie is loosely based on... Prime Minister William Lyon uh, Mackenzie King, yeah. who's our 10th Prime Minister and was picked up by Oscilloscope Films. Looks so very weird. It does. And I'm kind of curious about it because I didn't think at first it would get any sort of um, international distribution. distribution yeah. But if Oscilloscope picked it up, I mean, they, they have faith in it and it's weird. And it kind of looks, I mean, you can watch a clip of it right now on the TIFF uh, YouTube page and it does look quite uh surreal and out yeah. there and it's using a lot of sort of like practical sets that feel like something out of like a you know a, a tv studio yeah um i'm interested in both both midnight madness films um i'm 
anything else that stands out? I, I'm still not super familiar with a lot of well, it. Well, Clifton but... Hill, I think, is the one I'm kind of curious about. It's kind of looks like a bit of a, a mystery uh, movie, and it's got an interesting cast. And as I mentioned, uh, David Cronenberg has a, a small uh, supporting role uh, in the film. And when he's in a movie, it's always kind of interesting to see where he pops up other than uh, Jason X. Um, <laughs> I had to get that one in there. God. But when you see something like... Uh, um, uh, Nightbreed or Blood and Donuts or something like that. Like he's always interesting and 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 fun. Um, but yeah, it, there's a lot of stuff that again, you know, like is is smaller. I, I'm uh, Alan Zweig. I, I've seen some of his stuff like Vinyl. So I'm I'm curious about Coppers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like kind of a very robust combination of name. Um, talent and filmmakers and a lot of uh, new people that we haven't seen yet so that's always kind of exciting to see who's going to kind of be the the breakthrough of the year yeah and you hear from the first couple days like we'll hear from other critics if something's really really good and that we should check out before the end of it so um, it's interesting I, I covered a lot of Canadian film both at Tribute and Toronto film scene um, and I, I, I want to make sure that we we get some of that in there this year, especially because we're covering it for the podcast and right. like, and not just covering, you know, like the, the gigantic stuff. I mean, even though the, that's the mainstream studio, even though that's films the stuff that US, I think yeah. our audience and that we're excited about, but obviously, cause those are the ones we know about, but I'm excited to, like I said, hear from some people of some things. I I'm with you that Clifton Hill sounds interesting. The Adam McGoy movie we saw a clip from, uh, starring David Thewlis. Uh, he's playing like a Hamilton food inspector. Right. Um, Which is weird because it almost reminds me the scene that we saw from the movie almost looks like Donald Sutherland in Invasion of the Body Snatchers where you see him at the beginning going through a, a restaurant and finding uh, with tweezers rat feces and sort of uh, marking up what's wrong with the restaurant. So I'm sure he's not going to be really loved by uh, people in the culinary industry. Yeah. It looked. Uh, <laughs> it takes place in Hamilton. Hamilton yeah, too. Hamilton. I, I'm Hamilton and Niagara Falls. I'm like, all right, I'll watch. I'm interested. Right. And, and and to go to your point again, I think like we're in a in a spot where we should be covering some of these movies because we're giving a Canadian perspective, even though we, you know we have international listeners um, that we can give a perspective that is uniquely Torontonian and uniquely Canadian and Durham region and yeah. I mean, uh, I was born in Toronto, so... I was born in Oshawa, yeah. so... Born and raised, Durham region, baby. All right, uh, so yeah, over the summer, obviously, I mean, next week we have, um, I think, some uh, the Midnight Madness announcement is next week, as well as uh, Platform and... Uh, Masters? Masters, I believe, so... And there will um, be more announcements more special leading up to August 22nd? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, the end of August. End so. of August, which the schedule will be released. Usually on that day is when we get the last batch of like special presentations and galas, and then the schedule goes out. So, which is always a fun madness that that couple weeks leading into the festival. So, uh, stay tuned. Next week we'll have uh, more. Um, yeah, I'm going to the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark Midnight Madness event, which I believe Peter. Kaplowski, uh, he's doing the intro and he's either teasing what the Midnight Madness lineup will be or it'll be similar to the All the Boys Love Mandy Lane event we went to where Colin Geddes announced some of the Midnight Madness lineup uh, there as well. 
So that should be cool. Right. So I'll let you guys know how that is. So this concludes Tiff Talk 2019 CanCon Edition. Okay. We should have an intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Now into uh, our Hollywood news. Um, let's kick it off with uh, Denny Villeneuve's Dune delayed one week. <laughs> <laughs> so, because uh, there's another movie that it's playing that was playing. In that yeah, same, and same I think they just spot. took the Star Wars spot yeah. essentially. So, because um, Avatar moved out of there, right? Yeah, and then uh, Dune was going to be the week before, but I think another Warner Brothers movie is also coming out around that time. But I think it's not in the same stratosphere. But um, I mean, ballsy. I mean, they're going a big Star Wars-like movie for adults in the Star Wars spot, so um, right. good for them. I mean, if people come to know that like you're getting a big sci-fi movie like in that spot, then I guess it kind of makes sense, right? But um, I think it's because Collision Course with oh the Uncharted film, West Side Story, and Coming to America are all around that same uh, spot. So you're basically and, getting. A similar and then the situation Lerman, that we had last year where yeah. there was no Star Wars movie, but there was Mary Poppins Returns, there was Bumblebee, there Three was Aquaman, the day, yeah. and there were all these movies competing for that, you know, spot spot and making that money, and Aquaman was the film that came on top. Yeah, so this, I guess, like, it's biggest comparison but obviously very different is uncharted uncharted right. will be a little bit more accessible i'm assuming and, yes and pg-13 um and then west side story you got your movie musicals in december are, are no surprise anymore right yeah and they usually have legs into the early months of the next year so and then wb is also releasing the bosler and elvis uh presley movie on october 1st so it wanted some distance i guess but, but I is mean, that is that months. 2021 um oh probably uh yes sorry october 2021 yeah so yeah so never there's mind. Still a little bit of time never mind that. yeah never mind um yeah i mean a week's nothing but like uh no. it's interesting to take that star wars spot right so um i'm wonder i'm really curious i hope he doesn't have another big budget kind of bomb you know right especially because we want the second one <laughs> yeah but, um well i mean knowing his track record denny villeneuve's track record even if it, i mean yeah it'll suck if it's a bomb because it'll basically kill his his hollywood career i think after that but at least the quality will be will, will be fine because I feel right. like Blade Runner twenty forty nine and possibly this will be films that will continue to kind of build audiences as they sort of get on in in their age and sort of you know people they find will stand them like, the test yeah. of time yeah like Blade Runner twenty forty nine is a movie that had a lot going against it and it still turned out in terms of just like the quality of the movie is great but I understand why like that you know you put all that money into it and it not it's not necessarily going to be a box office film because it's a weird science fiction movie based on a, a cult dense, classic yeah, a de- which dune is as well though right, right? yeah i mean dune, I mean, dune probably dune, a little bit more action focused yeah and they and they did the same thing with david lynch's dune where they released it during the holiday season of that year and i think 84 and i it bombed then so like <laughs> and was competing with Star Wars movies then is just like this one yeah. is, right? Like yeah. and which is probably why Universal back then it was Universal, right? Um yeah. wanted to to release it to, in that time period because Star Wars was hot and now Star Wars is hot again, but um 
I'm very curious. I'm very excited. I think he's one of my favorite working directors right now. And I think, uh, again, like you said, the quality will most likely be there. It's just, can you convince people to see a dense, probably very long, um, strange, strange sci-fi film, right? Which, uh, we saw with Blade Runner didn't, even though it was excellent, uh, we couldn't convince anyone to go see it. Right. Um, Moving on, um, we got a confirmation on the cast for The Stand miniseries, which will be on CBS All Access. Um, We went over this a few weeks ago. Yeah, with casting rumors. With James Marsden, as well as Amber Heard, um, are going to be the two leads. Um, And then the biggest news you wanted to talk about, though... Yeah, so Stephen King, it was announced that Stephen King will be rewriting the finale uh, finale and the ending of The Stand. So I think that's kind of interesting, considering that um, this is one of King's most... Or maybe it is his most seminal work... Um, as a writer and that he is actually coming in to to change it and there has also been rumors with um, the second chapter of it that the ending won't be the same as the book or the miniseries because visually speaking they maybe aren't interested in pulling off something that will kind of maybe look silly Um, so I think that that is kind of interesting and worth talking about because the end of the stand in the book is probably one of the weakest parts of it and in the miniseries of of the stand in the 90s miniseries um it's not good (laughs) so yeah um i would be curious to see what he uh does to change it and he's going to actually be not just giving his um you know uh approval of the project he's going to be a part of it which he hasn't done in 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 quite some time yeah um i don't know much i really wanted to read the stand and i started i think i talked about this one when these rumors came up i started with the graphic novel adaptation of it um you just need to get the will wheaton uh audio audio version yeah yeah yeah. will wheaton as much as ready player one wasn't a great written book uh will wheaton did a good job with the audiobook um or the best job he possibly could have um, but no, I'm I'm really excited for this. I think it fits the a miniseries more than maybe a film, um, right? Because again, again, like with it, you'd have to separate it into at least two movies, probably if not three, more, yeah. yeah, into a trilogy, right? But so. the one person that they haven't cast yet that I'm I'm really curious about is Randall Flagg, mm-hmm. right? Who's the villain of the of yeah. the piece? Because there's a, a few more people who rounded out the cast, but the big ones are Marsden and yeah, and, and the one right? person they didn't uh, um, confirm is Whoopi Goldberg. Right, which was in that rumored uh, cast list. Um, next up, uh, Ben Affleck has, uh, looks like he's going to be in an erotic thriller with Anna de Armas called Deep Water. And the only reason I brought this up is because, man, I kind of miss erotic thrillers. Like, well, they were a staple of without the sounding pervy or creepy. Like, but 90s, I just like right, right, like the basic in- instincts and things like that. And um, we I had mean, you had. I mean, it was what I, I think. I guess. Because it's Adrian Lin who's coming back to direct. He hasn't directed since um, Unfaithful, the Diane Lane, Richard Gere erotic thriller yeah. from 2002. But he kind of really kicked that off with uh, Fatal Attraction with yeah. Glenn Close and Michael Douglas. And Michael Douglas obviously being in Basic Instinct, the Paul yeah. Verhoeven movie. Then you had things like um, Jade and Showgirls and eventually getting into the late 90s with 
Wild Things, which was the one I remembered the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it kind of died out as soon as the internet kind of became a thing. So. Right. Everyone can just get porn at any time. Right. <laughs> I guess they kind of tried to bring it back a little bit with um, the Fifty Shades movies, but it really wasn't erotic at all. It was just kind of like Or flaccid. thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't erotic or thrilling. No. So it was just... Um, but I laughed at that press release, and we were talking about it before we started recording, that it says a young couple... And it's like Damon's like forty six. Yeah, he's not young. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sorry, Uh, Ben. Ana de Armas is young. Yeah, but um, still, Um, I mean, good for him. I mean, that's a a large gap between movies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Gone Girl is kind of an erotic. Yeah, I would put Gone Girl a little bit into that category, right? Yeah, I mean, Um, it's it's maybe not as sleazy, but that's kind of what I miss. It is sleazy, but like in a I don't know, like, but a, it's not, but it's sleazy in a Fincher way. Like yeah. Fincher does it in a kind of um, cold, clinical manner, where yeah. like erotic thrillers are always like the films almost that you, campy, kind of, but campy, not campy. Um, always shot in kind of warm reds and yellows, and you know, or films that are played on city TV at one yeah. a.m. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so curious to see how that turns out. Chloe um, was kind of an erotic thriller, right? Or I guess the original version, the French film, Natalie. It definitely was. I just don't think it it really... Uh, broke, but yeah, there was a time and place out. for those movies. And it was in the late eight, Like, even nine and a half weeks with Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger. Like, of the late 80s into the 90s, they were the most dominant then. Right. Um, sorry, my phone's just exploding. Um... Okay, I just lost all of it. Why Exploding am I just looking, with erotic just looking at thrillers? Fucking photos of Ben Affleck. I'm like, I don't want this. Um, <laughs> don't you? I mean, speaking of Ben Affleck, and and I mean, he's not in it anymore. But um, the Batman uh, adds uh, Rogue One cinematographer Greg Frazier. So there was a rumor last week that what, Robert Richardson. No. Um, yeah, it was yeah, Robert Richardson. Richardson. He was doing press for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he was asked about it, and he said, like, literally... No. <laughs> he was going... He was going... He he was possibly going to direct... Or be the uh, cinematographer on Ben Affleck's version. Right. That's maybe where that rumor kind of yeah, spun out from. Yeah, but Matt Reeves, he had had no conversations with. Right. So well, then it was confirmed now that Greg yes. Frazier... Yeah, um, who has worked with Reeves on Let Me In. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Which is excellently shot. Yeah, and he's done stuff for Catherine Bigelow and uh, uh, recently Adam McKay for Vice. He also shot Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher. So. Uh, excellent cinematographer. Yeah, got an um, Oscar nomination for Lion. Right, he yeah. did. Um, excited. Um, again, we keep hearing little tidbits about the Batman. It seems like it's ramping up to... We're probably going to get much more casting soon. Yeah, so, so um, far we have... Now we have a director of photography, the lead, the director and writer. Is there anything else? Composer. Did Giacchino say that he's doing it? I don't think it's been officially announced. But I think he probably will be doing it. That makes sense because Giacchino's done most of Reeves' stuff. Yeah. Um, Oh, and and Frazier also uh, was a cinematographer on Rogue One. Right, which I mentioned, um, which Giacchino also did the score there. So Um, not that that has anything to do with one another. But. Yeah, I mean, there's been some rumors with casting that's been online, but nothing that has been confirmed nor denied at this point. And, I mean, this is 
a part of the process of figuring out, you know, like when it comes to the director and the casting uh, people that, you know, we'll hear probably, I'd say probably by the end of October, November, we'll probably have a better idea of who's in it, who's in it and, yeah. and, and what have you. And we could say like the names that have been mentioned, but it, it just feels like we'll what's the point because again until we know but i mean it's sometimes it's fun to speculate because like the one thing we talked about was um like off air is that it seems like there will be a lot of villains in this but mostly setting up i think this universe that he's building and probably going to be telling a a much larger story over probably a trilogy yeah and And he's also been very adamant in saying that this is going to be a detective plot which is why i think you might see some bigger name or or not bigger name, but people who are beginning to become big stars cast in these villain roles that might only, like, much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, maybe only have, like, a scene or two because right. it is this detective story. The magical so, Jai Courtney. So <laughs> Batman might have to just go, like, you know, speak to one of these villains like he does in the comics that it, the villain's maybe not necessarily doing something bad at that moment. Right. Who's playing Calendar um, Man? Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Adam Driver. There are rumors that Catwoman, Two Face, um, uh, could be in the film. And there's um, also been rumors about Riddler, Penguin, uh, Firefly. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Penguin, obviously, names being thrown out there for Catwoman, like um, Lily James, Vanessa Kirby, and Alicia Vikander. Alicia Vikander. Um, you mentioned John David Washington for Two Face. Yeah, so um, anybody from Nolan's from movie. Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Nolan did a Batman. He just cast these guys in Tenet. Let's maybe use them in this, um, which is weird. But uh, I'm totally open for it. But I'm very excited for this. I love. I think Matt Reeves is an excellent director. I think his Planet of the Apes films are underwatched and underrated. Um, I think those are excellent, and you should go see those um, or watch them immediately. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm super psyched to see this kind of, I'm, I like where DC is headed, which is back to just, let's make good movies and, uh, or, or one or try to, and not have them all have to yeah. connect. So Caesar though, is Andy circus. Yeah, we can get into that. Yeah. Uh, might be directing Venom 2. <laughs> right. So there was a, uh, an article said the, the Venom 2 shortlist was down to, uh, Andy circus, Travis well Knight, Travis Knight, and Rupert Wyatt. Speaking of Planet of the Apes, right? Um, Captive State. Uh, oh God! Um, and then there was a deleted tweet from Tom Hardy. Bless him. Um, <laughs> that he tweeted out a picture of Andy Serkis and something to do with Venom. Uh, so that deal maybe was in the late stages of being completed and then, uh, Hardy jumped the gun probably after talking with some people, uh, and maybe the contract actually hasn't been signed yet, but it's looking like it'll be Andy Serkis unless something drastically kind of falls apart. Right. Um, uh, so interesting choice. Um, again, people jumping from Marvel to different Marvel, from Marvel to DC, well, again, it doesn't matter anymore because comic book movies aren't – they're yeah. just action films now, right? Yeah. Like it's not the same thing where it's like you do one of them as like a novelty. You can just move from one to the next. That's kind of why I like what Reeves has done so far with casting Robert Pattinson in Batman because he hasn't done a comic book movie, right. right? So you don't have this added baggage of him having – you know, been someone else in something that people are familiar with. Well, even all the rumored way. names for that haven't really done comic book. No, movies, and right? I think that's. I think 
there are so many people that you could cast that it just becomes lazy after a while when right. you just cast people that have already done you know a version of it in a different comic book mir- movie or, or Tom Hardy yeah so um uh, yeah cool and not to say um, that it doesn't like it's not like i mean you know with both Michael B Jordan and Chris Evans it worked perfectly because they were better in the roles that they were cast in after their first failures yeah. So, you know. But then you have things like Michael Keaton, right? Who was excellent in both of his. Right. Like, Which was tough to do because, right. like, he was so iconic as Batman that it's like, how do you make him into a, a Spider-Man A Marvel villain, villain now, yeah. yeah. Uh, Andy Serkis, the director, I'm hit or miss on. Like, I, I actually didn't. like didn't, Breathe. Uh, I didn't mind his uh, Jungle, Jungle Book. Book movie. I thought it was weird, and I kind of dug it. Um, I'm wondering it said he will not as of this moment if he signed on it's not to be an actor in the film it's just a direct but i could see him involving himself somewhere even i did the motion the, capture for, for venom for carnage or venom venom right um yeah does does woody harrelson um, come aboard now because part of why he was in the post credit scene in venom was because of set up uh, carnage yeah. yeah ruben flesher though because that was they worked the, together yeah, on, on zombie land yeah zombie land too and is there a reason he's not coming back? I have no idea. Maybe because the first movie wasn't very good. But it made a lot of money. I know, but then that's why they're making a second one, and that's maybe why they were... I mean, not saying that Rupert Wyatt... I mean, Captive State is so bad, even though his first Planet of the Apes movie is decent. And, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, Planet of the Apes with Andy Serkis as well, right? Right. <laughs> and, and then you had uh, Travis Knight, who's coming off of the success of Bumblebee. Yeah, who um, actually made a decent Transformers movie. Right, so, uh, yeah. It's, I'd it's, almost go with him, because right. like, it, like if you're going to make the series work, or at least a middle-of-the-road movie, he would have made it work. Yeah. We'll see. I have literally no interest in this. I don't either. They should fucking cancel it and let... MCU and, and Marvel Studios use all of the Spider- Jared Leto coming up, too. Yeah, just fucking let them use these villains the way that, like, you've announced Blade now, and you can't use Morbius yeah. um, because you fucking have him in this weird spinoff universe that no one cared. Well, obviously people cared about because they saw it. But I like to see the, like, diminishing returns on this of, like, if it was sort of like a... Oh, well, we love the character Venom. There's a lot of people our age who grew up with that character as being like the biggest Spider-Man villain in the 90s and things like that. And maybe that's why it was so successful. Um, but it wasn't a good movie, right? So I'm wondering like... And you know what? Fuck Jared Leto. And yeah, he's the worst. We eliminated a news story today because we're just like, I don't want to talk about this guy. Um, anyways, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, next up, uh, Luca Guadagnino uh, is in talks to direct uh, Lord of the Flies remake for Warner Brothers. I'm uh, kind of excited about this because, one, it's Luca Guadagnino, but two, uh, William Golding's uh, Lord of the Flies was one of my favorite books that I read in high school. Uh, extremely dark and disturbing, and I'm curious to see what direction he'll take it in. Um, there were rumors that it was going to be an all-female production but that uh, seems cast, to be... but it seems to be um fake or is it least... all boys in the book yeah the original yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then it was i mean like the 90s version of it is terrible um because they tried to modernize it like not modern day on the like but like modern american kids on yeah. a stranded on an island and it just didn't work bob peck's in it actually at the end he's the soldier that uh 
uh, finds Bob Peck being Muldoon in uh, Jurassic Park. Yes. Yeah. God bless him. He's dead. Clever girl. I know. R.I.P. Um, passed away recently, right? Like no. In the last couple of years? No. no, in the 90s. Yeah, late 90s. Yeah. yeah, I forgot. Yeah, like after Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, my bad. Uh, yeah, Love those say- short shorts, though. Yeah, God. What a wonderful man. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I didn't love Suspiria. Um, or you weren't the I didn't, hugest fan yeah. of Call Me By Your Name. Right, so maybe I'm not the biggest Luca Guadagnino fan. He also has... But... He's working... I mean, right now he's working on... He had a short that played at Cannes that nobody liked. <laughs> Um, with Julianne Moore and Kyle MacLachlan. Oh, really? Um, and now he has an HBO series that he's working on. So right, we shall see. Um, and I think that pretty much. I mean, we have some uh, Venice news. Um, I think so, we should maybe quickly mention. Yeah, because uh, it was New York. We mentioned the New York news already. Yeah. obviously with the Irishman and but stuff. But with Venice, it's interesting because I mean, you're getting a little bit of overlap with with TIFF, obviously. But um, what's interesting is that the competition titles only have two female directors and um, one of the double than last year. Double than last year. But you also have Roman Polanski Ugh. in competition and a film with Johnny Depp as the lead. In, in the Polanski or a different one? Different movie. Oh, oh my yeah. God. If it was, that would just be a double negative. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Waiting for the Barbarians, which is from the director of Embrace of the Serpent, which I really love that movie, and uh, Birds of Passage. And Robert yeah. Pattinson's in that, too. Yeah. Um, the Polanski thing is inexcusable, I think. At this point, it, well, it just goes like, to show that Europe just, doesn't have the same mentality that North America well, does, letting, and they're, they're more... letting him hide there. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I just I think it's unfortunate, and um, I mean the lineup is good, um, other than that stuff, and other. I mean they have good films, I should say. Um, I think the only two films by women uh, filmmakers is brutal. I mean, you can see places like TIFF and other and other film festivals trying to have that parody by 2020. They've talked about right, and um, and it's and like and I understand that like you know something like TIFF like is such a big festival, so, so it's going to have that, more. Yeah. And but when it comes to movies that are in competition, they should do their research because there there are other films that are directed by women that I'm sure that they could find, even if they're not Like necessarily... if Todd Phillips can convince you that his movie should play in fucking competition, it's a Right, superhero. and there's another guy, another bro kind yeah. of filmmaker. And right? then like, I'm like, because originally they it wasn't going to play in competition and he wanted it to and he like convinced them to let him put it in competition. And I'm like, then you got two female filmmakers and like, I don't know. It's just... It's lazy. Like, it's know. lazy and it's ignorant. And again, like... It's just the attitude of, like, we don't care. Yeah. Like, we're just... We'll do what we want. Exactly. Tough shit. Like... And and I understand, like, you don't want to be told by another country what to do. And you should be able to govern the way that you want to. Or, or a festival governs the way that it wants to. But, yeah, when you also put Roman Polanski in that category of competition. And, you know, Johnny Depp in a movie. Like, it just... To me, it's like it's it's a bit of a slap on the face, and it feels like it's just so lazy towards the programmers' part. Agreed. Yeah. And then a lot of the stuff will be showing up at TIFF. Um, Probably not than, the Polanski. No, the Polanski, I highly doubt will. Um, uh, the only other thing was Ad Astra that was announced for Venice. Yeah, correct. That we uh, wasn't announced in the in the first lineup of TIFF stuff. Although that comes out September 
27th or 27th yeah Yeah, so the end of september a week or two after the festival so i'm not really too worried about that if it doesn't end up here yeah Um, i think that if it were to come out in october it would probably play new york because of he always shows up there yeah yeah because it is the end of september it it's the first festival that it's shown up at, right? Yep. Yeah. It might be the only one, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe Telluride, but I have no idea. Telluride's always a weird one. I never know. Yeah, what's and it's always be there. last minute. When yeah, it's like the there. day before it starts. It's like, here's the lineup. Uh, Surprise. But we are in festival season, baby. So, yeah, Fantastic Fest, we didn't mention, also had its first wave of announcements. Um, so, you have things like JoJo Rabbit and a couple other things that are showing up there. Right, Tiff's um, leftovers. God, you're such an asshole. Uh, no, Fantasia Fest always, or Fantastic Fest, sorry. Fantasia Fest was just wrapping up. Right. Um, which feels like it goes on for way too long. Yeah. <laughs> like a month. Um, but for Fantastic Fest, yeah, you get a lot of, uh, yeah, leftovers from Tiff as well as, they do get their couple big premieres and things like that. And it looks like it's a fun festival. And if we didn't have Tiff... Um, it seemed like it would be a blast, but there's no reason for us to go because it's usually the majority of it is a lot of stuff that played TIFF. Yeah, unless you're covering it for an outlet or something like that, or maybe you want to catch up on some movies that you missed at TIFF. Yeah. You can go there if you're a festival hopper. For sure. All right, guys. I think that wraps up this episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Um, you can get this each and every week on podcast services, usually Monday mornings, uh, but you'll get at least one episode a week. It might just show up randomly at some point. Like a Netflix um, trailer. Yeah. Um, if you guys like this, we do another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews. You guys should definitely go subscribe to that channel. We do uh, quick, tw- not quick, but 20, 25-minute <laughs> reviews of uh, upcoming films or new release films uh, that are a little bit more professional than whatever nonsense we talk about on this show. Um, we have reviews up right now for Hobbs and Shaw as well as Loose. So please go check those out. Um, and as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the interwebs, uh, mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me everywhere on all of the social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. I am mostly hanging out on Twitter, tweeting nonsense, stuff that usually doesn't make sense or that isn't even true. Like this week I tweeted, I don't think I've ever read a book, which was just a joke. I hope everyone knows that. Uh, Right now I'm reading Supermarket by Bobby Hall, uh, who some of you may know as the rapper Logic. Uh, So I do read, not very often, I read a lot of graphic novels, but I was mostly just joking, everybody. I hope so. A lot of the stuff I tweet is is nonsense. I mean, it's not far off. Right. Like, I don't read. There's always truth in. And I'm mostly joking. And then I tweeted right. about other things. If, do these count and these count? Uh, it's only funny to me. Other people might not might actually take me serious and then think I'm an idiot, uh, which isn't far off as well. Uh, and I'm also hanging out on Letterboxd if you want to spoil the segment uh, where we talk about what we've been watching. <laughs> you can watch or uh, follow along on there. Yes, and see all of Matt's rankings. Uh, and probably, and and probably judge well. me for it. Yes. Uh, I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211 where I mostly retweet Matt's idiotic tweets and uh, uh, look at everybody else's tweets and uh, judge in, in quiet contempt. Um, 
and uh, as I'm joking about this because I have nothing to say, uh, and on uh, Instagram mostly. Like those are the those are the two big places that I'm usually at. Cool. And until next week, uh, uh, take your lactate so you don't have tummy problems after drinking milkshakes. Diarrhea. No. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>